Budokai's back and PSVR 2 talk. And welcome to Triangle Square, a PlayStation podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck. And this week, you may notice that Chris is not here. Chris is doing his own thing, out working. But we saw this as an opportunity, an opportunity to talk about PSVR 2 in much more depth, which Chris did not end up buying into because he's a loser. I'm kidding. He's not sure. a loser. He He's actually been talking about maybe getting it. But it did afford us an opportunity, an opportunity for Joe from the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast, to come back and grace us once more as a guest. Joe, I'm super glad to have you back. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing today, buddy? I am excited to be here. I'll let all the good folks know that uh, I have a killer migraine, but that's not because of PSVR 2. It's because being (laughs) adult sucks. You know, Mm. stress headaches, they're the worst. But again, I'm here to power through so that I can preach about the good word that is PlayStation VR 2. PlayStation VR 2. It has been a big deal. So as you may know, we tend to start the show off by checking in on what each other have been playing. But before we get into that, I'm going to let everyone know this will have a pretty hefty PSVR 2 chunk of discussion early on. We're going to kind of onset that into the beginning. We'll use timestamps as we have been so that if that's not interesting to you, you can skip on and hear the rest because Joe is joining me for a full on full fat episode. Sure. Uh, with that in mind, we will eventually get into talking about Capcom coming back with a kind of showcase of their own. We got Budokai Tenkaichi coming back with Bandai Namco really blowing up the internet with that one. Uh, Some Jedi Survivor talk. So talk about Sony and what's going on with their, I would say, marketing of customizable parts of their PlayStation. But stick around for that. We'll get into that in a little bit. But Chris, uh, but no, so let go show you what happens. Not Chris, Joe. Force a habit. Yeah, I'm telling you, it really is. Uh, Joe. I think that we can probably both safely say that the majority of our what's playing lately has been PSVR 2 heavy at the very least. Oh, yeah. So I will defer to you, good sir. Let the audience know what you've been playing. What's worth playing right now? Ooh, we okay. So let's do. Do I want to start with PSVR or do you I want to talk about the game that got me off of PSVR? Oh, let's do that. We'll, we'll roll All into right. PSVR and let that be a, a full conversation. So let All me right. take a let me take a guess here. Yeah, take a guess. Um, um, let me What's think about game? your Twitter feed lately. I'm going to say probably Wolong. Absolutely is, dude. Wolong Fallen Dynasty got me hooked with the uh, playable demo that they have, which it really reinforces the idea of bring demos back for the love of God. Bring demos back because I think you get you're going to attract way more people than you're afraid to lose by just offering a 30-minute demo of a video game because Wulong Final uh, Fallen Dynasty is uh probably going to be the most accessible, you know, Soulsborne slash Neo like game that you're going to be able to have or be able to play and I feel like most people will be able to beat as long as you're able to get past the first boss. To me, yeah. Oolong is the easy mode Sekiro. I love Sekiro. Uh, it is one of my favorite games of all time. It is a game that I've proudly platinumed 
Um, and Wulong takes a lot of the philosophies that Sekiro have, which is its dodge and parry mechanic. Uh, this game lives and dies by parrying enemies and by breaking their stances, very similar to Sekiro, where mm-hmm. strong attacks and special spirit attacks uh, wear down these uh, enemies' uh, sp- uh, stances so that when you break them, they're dazed and you get to do just bonus damage after bonus damage on them. Wulong does something different, though, in way of scaling level. So you have your base level of what you always have with any From Software or you know Team Ninja-like game, but for every level, there's a morale system at play. So, for example, I'm a level 30... Uh, character right now and the great thing about this is it's all weapon space so you get to wield giant maces and also get to do <laughs> spells so you're not like trapped between classes it's very it it, it very much works with you and in, instead of against you but the morale system works in a way where you're starting at level zero which means you're going to take bonus damage and you're going to deal less damage to enemies in that level now, the more enemies that you kill, the more enemies that you defeat, and the higher level enemies that you go through each level will raise that morale rank. And you also get to raise up little checkpoints as well, like little bonfires, to permanently raise your rank. Because if you die, you're all the way back at zero. But you can work your way back up to you know level 10 or level 15, uh, or have that just as your set morale rank if you die, if you just put these battle banners on on these checkpoints that being said oh okay yeah, yeah. so the the coolest thing about this <laughs> is you get to raise it as much as you kind of want so the bosses their morale rank i think is genuinely from what i've seen level 20 but if you want to grind a bit in that level you could actually level yourself up to level 25 you could call in bonus allies with you to make the challenge significantly less than for you so you can have like a person that's going to tank or a person that's going to heal you uh to help you get through the bosses so i found that most bosses in this game are actually relatively really easy it's just how it really comes down to what challenge you want out of this game uh, but it really much feels like a classic you know soulsborne team ninja neo-esque experience with the caveat of it's focused on pairing it's focused on perfect pairing um it's focused on you know you building your perfect gauge meter to do more spirit attacks to call in like these cool ultimate abilities on your foes um it's a really really fun time and i just love the way that you get to raise the stakes whenever you feel like it you want that challenge if you if you absolutely want it well, the trailers made me think one thing, but before I get yeah. there, because um, I do want to ask you that one, going back to what you were talking about, about this morale system, yeah. it kind of sounds like, uh, and and you can hate me for the opinion, and no, it's, not even so, it's not a strong opinion. Um, one of the biggest issues I had with Returnal is that it's so long, and I've talked about yeah. this a lot on the podcast, so I don't want to spend long on it, but yeah. it's it's trying to do... And I know some people love it for this, but it's trying to do the iteration aspect of a uh, roguelite 
But because of the fact that it's such a dense game, that iteration loop isn't on like 15, 20, 30, 45 minute cycles. It can be yeah. anywhere up to seven hour cycles, depending on how good and how slow you take it. Um, and so anytime that you kind of die and you need to restart from the start, it's like, it feels like, well, if I start a new run, I'm dedicating that much time. It's like, do I want to keep doing that? And so I'm thinking about it at launch, right? Before they yeah. added the ability to save and back out. It was, oh man, if I'm in the middle of a run and I decide I want to play Destiny 2 with the pals, I just got to sacrifice that whole run. Yeah. Uh, and that always sucked. But um, what I always would have thought would have been a cool idea to try and still give you that basic roguelite interaction, but still have the rest. And I know it wouldn't have worked within the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. But I would have really liked to see a game similar to that at least approach that because that game feels amazing. But to where when you beat Frike, right, like the first boss, and you yeah. beat him, it creates either right then or at the start of the new area. Once you get to the new area, it's like, this is your new starting point. This is your new and, starting point. Yeah, this it's like, and now cycle. it's the same thing, right? If you die yeah. in this one, you come back to here, but you don't have to worry about Frike in that area again. And you don't have to worry about getting bored of that ecosystem yet again as you try and move through the new one. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the morale system is similar to that and where you're you're level zero until you get to a thing. And part of the reward of the bonfire-esque mechanic is that instead of it just being a place to rest and restore and respawn enemies, it's also a physical check mark of like, yeah. I've made it, here's my secondary reward is I can permanently set my morale to this as that's, a means of that. That's actually a, a, an excellent an excellent term where it's just like yeah it it feels it feels more impactful when you get to a bonfire now the levels you know vary in length but they're never they never overstay their welcome either so like mm -hmm. to me for the most part I find like a level is around 30 40 minutes long you know oh, they're, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're relatively sh like short um the pass or the hidden pass they're not too terribly hidden um so like you can run around this map rather easily it actually encourages you to master the map find new routes to find more of these uh like little pillars that or, or banners you get to raise so that that's where i feel like it does a really excellent job of executing that mechanic of just like yeah no here you're here so you don't have to go back to the giant lion that keeps on messing you up but if you want to go back to him now you're actually probably at a higher morale rank which means you're going to be able to do more damage to him he gets to do less damage to you and you get to learn how that character actually maneuvers better so it, it, it there's so much variety there that or, or opportunities rather that that the game gives you Okay, I got you. And I do think the secondary question I had, Go for uh, I think I was working off of a false uh, idea of what I was thinking. And actually, I know for sure it is now, which makes me wonder, what is the game I was thinking of? There was a game that they showed sometime last year, maybe late 21, where it's uh, very Japanese focused, yeah. but it kind of has this like Japanese slash Assassin's Creed look to it. Yes, that's another Team Ninja game. It's it's oh, so failing it is Team Ninja. That that must be why I'm getting mixed up on it. Yeah, it, it, this is like it's like their A team, their B team right now. That that that's working. But yeah, there there is a Team Ninja game that's set in uh, the end of feudalism into where they yeah, yeah, industrialize. Yeah. This is feudal. This is not even Japan. Actually, this is like feudal China. So you're getting rise to see of the some Ronin. Of the, there you go. You're getting to see like uh, mythological uh, characters like like Guan Yu in there. 
I yeah, well, that was the thing. It's like I was watching people play this, and I was like, this doesn't look like what I remember having that vibe. And because yeah. I was thinking it was like an open worldish style game at first. Mm-hmm. And then as people started playing, I was like, this sounds more like Neo, where it's like you have a vertical area that you can kind of travel through, but then it ends like a mission. So it's not like Soulsborne in the sense that the map is a consistent persistent map that you wrap around back in on yourself yeah it is like well this is a level and you're going to go through and once you get to the end of this level it's going to move on and 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 you know for better or for worse it definitely feels like a peak ps3 level um <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and, sure. and honestly like i miss those like game ass game experiences where it's just like hey get to point a to point b to point all the way to z uh yeah. and have fun doing it and then yeah. that's what it really feels like well did you play neo I played a bit of Neo. Neo was hard as hell. One of the things that I couldn't, I couldn't get with with uh, Neo, especially Neo Two, if I remember, um, mm-hmm. is that the dodge button is the cross and not circle, mm. as it should be. So it, it was really hard for my from from software and muscle memory to work into those games. But those <laughs> yeah. games were punishing. So yeah, I, I, well- I, I couldn't get into them. You're talking about the stances, right? And the the stances kind of remind me of Neo, actually, and, and definitely Sekiro too. But Neo actually had like you know you would change which stance so you'd be kind of going overarm, or you could go low and you do all your attacks from a different stance. Yeah. Um, and you would have to look at what your opponent's stance was, and then you adjust up. Like, okay, well they're in a low, I need to be high so I can break over their stance. And it was almost like this mixture of, uh, and I haven't played For Honor, but I know that this is the For Honor mechanic of, right, you have to pay attention to the stance of your opponent. You kind of see it in a game like Chivalry 2 where it's like, you've got to actively try and play the move that you need to break through what the opponent's doing right now. Um, I like that ideology. Something that came to mind that I almost don't even know if it would work or if a game has done it but, you know, typically we think about levels kind of linearly, and it sounds like this game does try to askew that a bit to where you're, like, you're used to just leveling, and then you keep that level in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, even Souls games, right? You're like, you, you lose your soul currency or your blood currency or whatever it be, but you, if you, as long as you spend it on a level, you don't lose that level. Um, that's fine, and I kind of think that that makes sense. But have you ever thought about in games where like there's a lot of enemy variety have have you ever wondered, and I didn't until just now, so I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't. Go for it. Do you think you'd be interested in a game in which you basically leveled up only for what you were fighting? So like a certain type of enemy, the more you killed of them, you got experience fighting that enemy. And uh, as you fought you. more of them, it was easier. But then when you dis- when you discover a new one... Yeah, it's like it's even if it's something small, it's just as challenging because so, you have to learn your way around it. This game kind of does that. There's a there, like you level up elements, so you got like um, shout out to Earth, Wind, Fire, the band, but you got Earth, Wind, <laughs> Fire, Water, and all those when you level up them, they they each have different spells and abilities that you have. So like water is going to be really strong against fire enemies. Mm-hmm. Fire enemies are going to be really uh, um, uh, good against earth enemies. Or oh, I think metal, I think, is the other one. Uh, and, like, metal is very resilient to, to water, something around those lines. So, like, if you're dealing with an water enemy, uh, enemy probably want to use earth. Or if I'm dealing with a fire enemy, I probably want to find a water spell that I can use uh, or, or a weapon that works better against water enemies or fire enemies, whatever the enemy you're, you're up against. So it, it does do something similar 
to what you're kind of speaking to? Well, I think I kind of got an answer, I, and I don't know if you're big on it. Um, if Go I'm not it. mistaken, did you play Wild Hearts at all? Uh, no, that is one I unfortunately missed. Mm, I haven't played it either. It was just more of a curiosity. Uh, are you a big Monster Hunter guy at all? I've tried. God, okay. I've tried so many times. <laughs> well, <laughs> where I was actually going to go is I think that without telling you, in a weird way, I think that that is what Monster Hunter is. Like, right? Because yeah. in Monster Hunter, definitely the older games that were much more punishing um, than the new ones, right? Like, uh, for the main campaign, Monster Hunter Rise is probably the easiest Monster Hunter game at, 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 out there. Now, it's not sure. as easy as other things. Like, I've heard Wild Hearts is more accessible. But it's fairly easy. But the older Monster Hunters and even Monster Hunter World, part of what it is is that since each big monster that you fight is kind of its own entity, and that game doesn't really have levels in the same sense as upgraded weapons. Like, So your gear is your level, right? It's like you basically can resist more because you've killed something that required that skill level. So it's a good loop. Right. Yeah. I've killed something bigger, so now I have its parts so I can make armor so I can take more hits. And my weapon is being upgraded, so my weapon has more pieces so that they can do more damage. And it's kind of a cyclical thing. And I think that's what Monster Hunter is. It's just it doesn't point it out, but the idea mm-hmm. is more of a one V one, like, okay, well, you're fighting a new monster for the first time. And every time you fight it afterwards, it'll be a little easier and a little easier. And eventually you'll know exactly how to take this thing down with no issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that's kind of an interesting spin on that i really like that idea yeah so all right so is uh it's well long been your only non-psvr game then huh i'm pr- i'm pretty sure it's been yeah <laughs> and then the rest is psvr too baby let's do it let's talk about Ooh. it well i'm gonna slide in a very short game oh, please okay that i did play uh that wasn't vr and it it got me to break from vr um what Remains of Edith Finch is a oh. game that I was really interested in back in like 2016, 2017, before it ever came out, when it was still supposed to be a PlayStation exclusive, before they kind of backed out and Anna yeah. came in. Um, I remember playing it at PSX, just a little demo, and I thought it looked really interesting, and talking with the devs, it sounded interesting. It came out, time passed. For some reason, I didn't play it. Time just kept passing, and I just never bothered. Well, it was on PS Plus, and I thought to myself, I mean, I've been seeing this game. I've, I've always thought it sounded interesting. A PS5 version just came out. We're doing the trophy competition. So apparently the PS5 version added a platinum and the PS4 version didn't have one. So I, I did that. It's like a two, two and a half hour game. Okay. If you've not played it, it's super unique. It is a walking simulator. So it's the idea of kind of moving through a house, kind of gone home style and stuff like that. And like everyone's gone to the rapture. Yeah. But I think it really does something extra by not being afraid to just be weird. So in this, the the basic idea of the story is that you're a girl returning to your childhood home and the childhood home has got a, a legacy back to a family that, you know, um, immigrated over here Mm -hmm. hundreds of years ago. And so this family is known for having bad luck. And so what you do is you go through this house where all these doors have been sealed off and you're finding these little, passageways that are built into the house and you go in and you read the diaries of uh, our you know little things that basically pull you in and you experience a flashback to a one of each several family members and you get to kind of experience some moment of their life or some weird aspect of something and it changes the game on its head every time so like i don't want to say too much but Whereas most walking simulators, they pull you by story and not really mm-hmm. gameplay. This has an odd gameplay element to it where it's like it's a collection of mini games 
that are being told to you by way of being experiences of your family. And it really tries to play out and be like, we're going to change how you control here. We're going to do something weird and unique. And by the end, it's just a really cool story. Uh, So yeah, I'm glad I finally came back to it. Uh, But man, the bulk of my week, by and large, been that PSVR 2, baby. Been that PSVR 2. Now I know, so we can go off. I know that you and Kyle both got it, correct? Yep. Correct. All right, and, and you've both been playing. I saw Kyle's been posting about some platinums for Job Simulator that his little niece has got. Super cool. So Super cute. cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure to some degree y'all have been talking about on your show. So yes. <laughs> anyone who may be over here listening to us, if this is a recycled conversation to some degree. I overlap in nothing. <laughs> it is what it is. You're gonna have yeah. to deal with it because yeah. I needed to talk PSVR two with someone. God Joe bless. is just uh, Joe is that person. So, sure. Joe, first yes. and foremost, what is like your PSVR history? Kind of for me and for the listener base who may not be aware of you. Oh, that's a great question. I've always been fascinated with the tech, and the tech was breaking out when I used to work at GameStop like 10 hmm. years back. So I'm, th- I'm talking the first Oculus when it was this wire city. I'm talking like the first HTC Vive. Remember that? Uh, yep. It's still thing probably is. Uh, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You know, I, I got to, I got to experience those for the first time. And I was like, Whoa, this is, this is, uh, this is some ground like floor stuff that we're working with. This is, this is exciting tech because it feels as though we are entering something incredibly new that we haven't done since, you know, the eighties or nineties when it came to just video games, you know, like how, how does a platformer work in VR is way different than how a platformer would, would, would lurk, look on a, on a TV. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that type of stuff, like just the ideas felt original. It felt fresh. And we're in an industry where we started to see more, you know, iteration than, you know, originality, as it mm-hmm. were. Um, VR is a genre that's, that's doing it different. And so for me, I loved VR, but it was never accessible to me until yeah. Yeah. PSVR one. Uh, okay. I went all in on it. I loved that tech, even as it was just an amalgamation of all of Sony's failures rolled into a headset. <laughs> I loved it nonetheless. And, you know, I, I, dude, I loved, uh, what is it, um, Astro, uh, Astrobot Rescue Mission. I always want to say Playroom. Uh, you know, yeah. like Blood and Truth, those are excellent experiences. And as much as I loved that headset, the support pretty much died relatively quick. It felt like, at least to me, it felt like after a year or two, we kind of gotten to see less and less of, you know, the software at work here. And mm-hmm. so when they talked about bringing PSVR two, I think it was clear to see that Sony needed to go back on some of its original ideas with VR because the light, the, the light move controller jargon was not great the camera tracking was awful and i feel like they 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 saw that the tech that they were working with was too limited to press forward and that's why they made the psvr2 which is to me um as premium as premium gets for vr at the moment it is it's everything i wanted guys (laughs) this is great yeah well that's what i was gonna ask right 
like how does it compare against what you had? So that's yeah. what really you basically answered that on your own. <laughs> that's good. And real talk, uh, you know, I own an Oculus uh, Quest okay. or mm-hmm. Meta Quest, whatever they call it now. I don't even care. <laughs> uh, Quest One or Two? Uh, two, Two. Humble brag. I do as well. Yep. And you know, for the the one problem that we had on the trophy room, um, thank God I'm with like minded PlayStation folks. Is I did not like how the media was just like, it's the Oculus or the Meta versus PlayStation VR. It's like, no, stop. What are we doing here? This is, no, it, it's like we're arguing against like a Toyota Corolla and a Mercedes Benz. It's like, these are, they're, they're not in the same class. It's, mm-hmm. it's not fair to even pit one against the other. Um, you know, people saying that like, oh, I'm going to get tied up with this wire. It's like, how? How much? How much space do you really need? For the love of all that is holy, <laughs> I this headset man. As much as I enjoyed my 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 quest, it is so good that to me I'm just like, okay, Craigslist. We're gonna sell this Oculus. I don't need it anymore. I don't yeah, need that Facebook yeah. blood money anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've so I have a very limited one as well. Right, I came in on PSVR one. Um, and I was really bullish on it because I thought it looked really cool. And we went and drove three hours away to try the demos out when PlayStation yes. was doing those before release. And weren't those awesome? Yeah, they were. Yeah. And I was sold. You know, I was like, this is a cool thing. This is a good idea. I'm liking seeing Sony because like the Vita really ate at me. I and I felt like if I can't get a Vita 2, at least I feel like Sony's throwing that kind of caution to the wind energy at PSVR. And, you know, it's interesting. Like you, you mentioned... PSVR one support, and I get that by and large it didn't get as much as it wanted. Uh, but you know, I got to give them a little bit of credit because Blood and Truth is 2019. That's three years out. Iron yeah, Man true. VR that's 2020. That's four years out. Yeah. Uh, Astrobot Rescue Mission was like 2019 as well. One of the best known games for the thing, and that was yeah. two three years out. Um, so they tried, and I really even appreciate that. Like 2020 and even 2021, they had some psvr1 focused state of plays much to everyone else's chagrin but you know the problem i faced is psvr1 was outdated technology when they brought it to us but it at least made vr accessible so you kind of take it for what it is and one of my favorite games on the headset is uh firewall zero hour amazing game Oh, really and the psvr aim controller they have is you know my big question to this day is what are we going to see similar and what are the pros and cons? We talked about that last week about a gun peripheral that's a solid piece versus something that you can hook your controllers on that's a stock that lets you move them out so you can... Well, funny enough, there there is a company that's working on a peripheral Mm -hmm. that I think I saw the firewall does go... Mail it to us, and we'll give yeah. you some feedback. Yep, and they said that they have been, they've confirmed that. So yeah, it'll be a stock where you magnetically attach your controllers, awesome. the Sense controllers. Uh, so I had the same thing, right? I kind of got disillusioned from VR because I bought the first model, and I loved HDR, and I bought this beautiful TV that I adore, my my OLED TV. That's right, God bless. I wanted the HDR, and the problem was is that anytime I wanted to play it, I had to completely loop all my wires back around because the first model did not support HDR pass-through. Yeah. So I had to unplug a bunch of crap, and it just got more and more problematic and the cords were never a bother to me you know like it was two of them it was a little thick it was like eh. yeah like where we are now i'm cool with the one like mm-hmm. yeah wireless will always be more ideal 
but we're losing so much for in the process for yeah. in that process we're losing so much visual fidelity uh just processing power that this scope this headset of games. can do yeah right that that's the big thing like you talked about the oculus and mine is literally i put it in the closet because i haven't played in a while i'm probably going to sell mine um because the problem i kept having with it is that the quest as a standalone unit was never it's like Resident Evil 4, it's like, okay, it's a game I play. It is a full-scale game, but it's like, it's just a reimagining of something I played. And it was good, and I appreciated it. But a lot of the games are just like, they were still, definitely when you weren't plugged into something else, it was just a VR experience all over again, right? It's, oh, it's just, it's one gameplay loop that you can play for hours on end, and that's cool, but it's like, I want more from the game. And it just wasn't there, and I didn't find it super comfortable, the one it was weird at first. I was like, "Wow, this is everything the PSVR one isn't." These controllers track so great. These are, mm-hmm. you know, the headset having the cameras and being able to pass through, look through. It's like all of that's cool, and you're like, "This is really interesting." And then I got kind of tired of it as a standalone unit, so I bought the link cable because I oh, tried okay. doing the wireless thing that they do, where you can wirelessly link it to your computer and you could do PC VR, but it was yeah. super inconsistent. So I got a link cable. And I played Skyrim VR, which I tried on PSVR, and it was awful. So I tried it on here. Had to mod it a bunch, but it was awesome. And I played it for about 10 hours, and I was like, cool. And then slowly it was like, but this is still a lot of work. It's just, it's like I'm having to go to PC and get all these things set up, and it just doesn't feel as easy as it should. I don't like the... It, it doesn't feel plug and play in the same way. Almost every time I had problems getting it to actually link to my PC uh, in the Oculus app. And so I kept getting pulled back and I was like, I just, so I kind of just dropped out and then I ended up buying uh, one more last hurrah game of a uh, bone works or whatever it was called okay. um, to try on the quest. And it didn't hit me. So PSVR came out and at first I was, I don't know. I don't know. No Gran Turismo seven. I launched. I don't know. This is weird. And I was like, that just seems like, how do you have Gran Turismo sport, but you don't yeah. have Gran Turismo seven. And so I held off and I held off and they kept showing stuff. I was like, that sounds cool. Foveated rendering sounds cool. Oh, that the controllers look cool. And then I was kind of like, all right. And the moment they said GT7, I was in. I was like, let's go. I pre-ordered that day. That day, That's baby. Awesome. They said That's GT7, awesome. and I said, let's freaking go. You'd even ask the wife, you're like, she'll find out in a month. It's okay. <laughs> well, thankfully, I have a PlayStation credit card, so reward right. points paid for all this. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but you were smart enough, I wasn't, to yeah. pay for the charging dock, man, for those controllers. I missed out, and they're sold out. <laughs> I need I it. Got, I, so that's actually probably the, the... So, I mean, if you want, let's talk about this hardware. Because honestly, the only thing that I don't like about the headset is the charging dock sucks. So go <laughs> try to find a better charging... For 50 bucks, these things constantly fall off. Um, it's it, I, I say it all the time. It's like a, it's prom night. I'm just trying to find where the clicky thing is to click in these chargers so that it stays in place and actually charges. Uh, because like it, it doesn't have a good feel when you place them on the charging dock that it's actually charging. Like you got to wait and see the glowing lights and go, okay, all right, it's charging. Great. And then like walk away. Cause you, it, 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 it has fooled me already like two or three times, but I think, to talk about the negatives of PSVR 2 first, to be a little, you know, spice it up, be a little different, is um, the the batteries of the Move controllers, and it seems like this is just a consistent theme with PlayStation, is shockingly low. 
So like games like, you know, um, not even games like, you know, these controllers get around four to five hours of battery and you're like, okay, well, that's not bad. Just charge them always afterwards. But not everybody has that charging dock. So you got to charge them probably one at a time for the average consumer. And that gets a little annoying. So to me, I think the biggest the, the the biggest knock of PSVR 2 right now has been just the battery life of those pro controllers are not good. They they or, or sorry, sense controllers. We good. got a yeah, yeah. We we got a lot of questions that I'm gonna kind of work them into this. Oh, okay, go but for it. I, I'm glad that you told me that about the charging thing, because uh do you have the dual sock uh though the dual sense uh charging dock for the controllers? Yeah. yeah I do, that thing's great. I love it. Awesome. It works perfectly. I never have any issues. So yeah. I was really surprised whenever I saw the sense controller charging dock. At first, I thought it was the analog to that, where it's there's magnetic strips where the batteries are, and when you set it in, it just charges through that because yeah. it works so well. And so I was really disappointed when I saw it's just a housing with USB-C ports that you have to click into. And it yeah. does feel weird that they would have the foresight to think that the dual sense needs to have this easy charging, but the sense controllers for the PSVR 2 don't. Yeah. And it's it's kind of an odd, like, I mean, okay, like for all the stuff you get right, like, right? Cause they're like positives and negatives, right? You're talking about the positives. Uh, or did you talk about, you already talked about the negatives, but the positive of the controllers in and of themselves is all of the dual sense features being in there. Yeah. The, the haptic feedback is incredible. It feels really good. I really love the sense of the finger tracking, which is not exclusive to PlayStation by any means. Oh, I understand, right. but it's still really nice. Um, but those adaptive triggers, man, they continue to impress me in everything that they're in. And sometimes they're a bit much. Every now and then I'm playing Harry Potter and I'm like, bro, my hands is getting a workout over here. <laughs> I need uh, to take a step back. Uh, yeah. Forspoken was like that too. I was like, oh, I need to turn this down a little bit. Yeah. But um, with all that, it's like, how do you get all of that cool stuff right? And then you've already made the dual sense and you don't think that the sense controller could just have the same thing with a dock that you just set them in there and yeah. the magnets align and bam, the, the fact it. that yeah it's not magnetic and like you gotta you got like it comes with cheap little dongly like USB C ports that you tack on them it's like come on PlayStation be yeah, better it's rough but <laughs> yeah we got a question to that which I okay. think kind of comes into here so it's kind of a twofer uh, sweet Grand Trismo Jones asks do you find PSVR two more or less comfortable than PSVR one. And then secondarily, because we've seen this a lot, have or I've seen people online talking about it to some degree. Have you experienced any bugs with PSVR two hardware specifically yet? Bugs on the hardware side, no. Um oh, I, have I you answered seen, that like no. No. I <laughs> have haven't. you seen people talking about like uh apparently right sense controller issues, specifically sporadic connection issues and stuff? So if I can be real with y'all for a second Anytime that a new piece of hardware comes out, I'm guaranteed that there's going to be the 0.1% of folks that are going to have a dud that's going to have a lemon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe my brother's PS4 was a lemon, I think, not if memory serves right. But like, you know, I, I always feel like those articles get a boost upward because sure. it's like if it bleeds, it leads. So, no, I have not experienced <laughs> any bugs or any drifting on any of these controllers so far. That's yeah. good. Um, so as for comfort, you know, you, you talked about uh, positives and so far we're talking about features, but you know, comfort is one of the most important features of a VR headset. So how are you yeah. feeling about that? Uh, yeah. So Kyle and I have differing thoughts on this. Uh, I definitely understand with the crown 
Uh, first off, I always have preferred the crown of, you know, style the halo. where yeah, yeah, the it halo sits style. on your, mm-hmm. your forehead, right? Um, rather than just strapping it on it, on your head. It's like a, the quest. I had to buy one that was like the PSVR one. Cause I, it was awful, awful, awful. And I have a big head. <laughs> so. Oh, dude, my head is enormous. So like for me, the, the one thing that I love is, you know, the accordion style visors, um, do an excellent job, phenomenal blocking out most, if not all, uh, your, of the light around you and being able to, uh, play with the the how the goggles align to your eyes. Yeah, your IPD interpupillary. Yeah, distance. Look at look at you with the science. Uh, I'm just like how it aligns well, with the eyes, like, and you're like I'm gonna break I, out some. I'm so glad that it's a physical dial because I don't yes. know if you're aware. Quest Two has the same thing, but there's only three mm-hmm. positions, and you have to physically touch the lenses and to push them in. It's awful. Awful. And this it's, is this is actually like you can gradually scale up and back. It's great. And the the awesome thing too is like you can always it'll always or like you could go into the system every time you have it uh, because people are like why are the letters so blurry it's like because you're pushing the, the 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 screens right into your eyes like you could back it away a little bit it's gonna be fine mm-hmm. but like you can make it so that when you align it you you ha- you're making sure that it's perfectly aligned with your eyes so mm-hmm. like it'll actually show you on screen where. The, the the screens are positioned to your eyes, which is awesome. Mm. The, the whole thing super super comfortable, but there is some slippage, right? See, that's where I was coming because like PSVR PSVR one, right? If we're comparing PSVR one and PSVR two, which is I guess that's the heart of the question, right? Do you find yeah. it more or less comfortable? I think ultimately the quality of life things. It's more comfortable, right? It doesn't feel like it's putting as much pressure on my nose. The IPD adjustment means that I feel like I can keep it further out and then do the adjustments I want. The accordion, the accordion setup means that there's a much larger distance of where it'll cover light. And this thing is excellent. And I, I consider light leak it's a huge comfort issue with VR because yeah. it, it really does break your sense of immersion. And it also makes me nauseous in the ones that don't do that very well, where you can look down a certain amount and you can just see. It's like... Yeah the disconnect causes me to kind of feel like, Oh, like that didn't sit well with me. But so I think a lot of this comes into how have they adjusted the already tried and true halo where you hit a button, you pull out, you stretch it over your head. And I think one of the biggest improvements for both comfort and light uh, protection is the shaping of the front headpiece where it kind of over exaggerates past your head. So that as your head pushes into it, you kind of seal up there. And yep. then I really like this. I don't know if you'd agree, but it's in the back and front. There's like a, a two stage cushion almost like yep. it feels like a, for lack of a better term, I guess it feels like a deflated bike tire. Yeah. It's actually and, a good way to describe <laughs> it. Cause I was going to be like, like a memory foam mattress kind of feel, you know, yeah, you got the like one a, layer like a, then you got it's the, like a half inflated bike tire. Yeah. And then if you keep pushing past that, you kind of feel this dense foam kick in and it's, I find it very comfortable. Yeah. Um, I'd be very curious to see anybody who thinks it's less comfortable in the immediate. Yeah. And I'm trying I to, to think I of PSVR Kyle, 1. Go ahead, go ahead. Because he's had some slippage on the back, and it, it, it deals with a lot with um, uh, with people like thick hair, of mm. course, or like long hair. And I just told Kyle, listen, stop being gross. Go take a shower. 
you know? <laughs> no, uh, clean the clean your, and I think it goes to clean your headsets after you use them because Very what important. I feel like is happening, because I've had some sessions where I'm like, ooh, let me take a break and then I take it off and then start slipping and sliding, is, um, you know, your hair is greasy, naturally mm-hmm. so. So, yeah. you know, after y- you had a long, you know, session with this thing, wipe it down so that the plastic is, you know, yeah, it doesn't have that layer of grossness to it that we don't think is there, but is there. Well, I'll tell you the secondary. It's the, it's the good and bad of halos, right? Where your eyes are on your head. I feel like part of the reason I have a little bit of issues, it's not big slippage. I wouldn't even call it slippage to where I feel like it's falling off of my head, but it's slipping in so far as as I play for like about more than an hour, it gets to a point where I have to start kind of readjusting it up and i think the reason being is for my head size in particular um or for where it sits and where my eyes need to be the one big missing feature i would really say and i feel like the psvr1 had this is that the button that you could hit not only allows you to scope in and out but it allows you a little bit of a tilt of like positive and negative tilt and i don't feel like it feels too rigid on psvr2 because sometimes i wish i could get the halo further down past the bump of the back of your head so that it seals and sits better. But then I could make up for that by negatively tilting the screen a little bit. So it hits my eyes as it should. That's what I find. If I really want it to look as crisp and clean as possible, I kind of have to ride this very interesting line on my head to where, and I tighten it a little extra to help with that. But I can tell that, like, okay, if I do a lot of very physical movements, like if I was doing a lot of Beat Saber or something like yeah. that, if I'm looking real up on, on Horizon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I haven't had that, but uh, but yeah, I could see certain games being more problematic than others. So I'd say that's sure. the biggest. If I was going to say, let's 2.0 this baby, right? PSVR one got a 2.0 where they changed a few things. If I was going to 2.0 this one. That would be my thing. That button that not only slides it in and out, but even if it's a separate button, something yeah. to where you have a little bit of negative and positive give, even if it's just yeah. a pressure-resistant hinge, right, where you have to kind of activate it, but then once you let go, it's going to stay until you put enough pressure to get it to twist. I think yeah. that would go a long way. Yeah, but- Ad- adding a hinge would, would would be a huge benefit to PSVR 2. Agree. But, you know, on a scale of, like, Samsung gear... <laughs> oh shit <laughs> <laughs> to like a sleep mask yeah. i really do think that this is the most comfortable vr unit i have put on Absolutely. i have a friend who has the htc vive uh and i find it almost as uncomfortable as the quest 2 which i yeah. find infinitely uncomfortable out of the box it was a lot better after i got a halo adjustment for it uh but i shouldn't have to spend that's the thing like 50 extra dollars for that was uh, unnecessary in my opinion yeah. right out of the box you need to be thinking of this product as something that is usable and i did not find it usable out of the box it, it was very tiring it put all the weight right here and like it was pulling down on your brow yeah it's like i i don't want that i want it to really be the back of my head bearing that and then just like the top of my forehead instead of like the bottom of my brow and my cheek that's not a very comfortable setup so yeah um, yeah ryan i'd be curious to see if uh if you ask that because you're having your own comfort issues um but yeah definitely see how that goes it's definitely for me this is the most comfortable headset i've used um and just again the the way that you're able to make it for you 
right? Adjust mm-hmm. it for you is a big plus to me overall. I'm right there with you. This is by far the most comfortable headset that I've put on my noggin and I've put every single one on except for the index. I need to find a rich friend with an index. Yeah. I haven't done index and I'm yeah. very curious about it, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, I'm a little curious about meta quest too, but I don't have high or the pro Two rather, yeah. uh, the pro meta quest pro. Is that it? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either way. Yeah. I got to have people with money. Nah, I, I don't feel like spending that much extra money. No. So yeah. So, so far I would say I've kind of done a smorgasbord. The only thing I've not done in VR that I really wanted to do in VR. And uh, as I told you, I'm getting new windows today and tomorrow. <laughs> and that's led to some issues. I had originally planned to get home and try a little bit of Pavlov because I've not done a first person shooter. I have not either. Yeah. And so my big question for myself was like, as much as I loved firewall zero hour and other first person shooter games like Farpoint uh, that had that gun controller, that's a rigid body. So I'm really wanting to see what does a first person shooter feel like when I'm holding a rifle, that's a two handed gun. And my hands are not physically connected by a rigid body. Like what does that feel like? Because I feel, In my mind, I'm imagining it as it just it won't compare and it's going to take me out of it. I saw the coolest thing with Pavlov VR where like they're playing multiplayer. I'm assuming it's just a multiplayer, maybe like team deathmatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, he's walking up behind a guy who's like aimed down sights and he actually took his hand, waved it in front of the guy's face. And shot him in the head. <laughs> the guy turns around and she, as he's turning around, he's like, and pop, pop. I'm like, that is the coolest damn thing I've just seen. Multiple VR is awesome. The coolest I've seen so far. That's one of them. The coolest I've seen so far is a guy ran up on somebody, kind of like juked as they tried to shoot, and he reached out, grabbed the magazine from the gun, and pulled it out. No and way. Incredible. Incredible. That is awesome. VR, yeah, guys, look at this. Yeah. Virtual so, reality, they call it. Sadly, I did not get to do that, but I'm looking forward to doing it. I did oh, buy pa- uh, Pavlov. So right now I've got PSVR, uh, okay. Grand Turismo 7. I've got Resident Evil 8, which I've yet to try, but I'm very, very excited to because I think Resident Evil 7 was right beside uh, Firewall, probably the best show of PSVR 2 or yeah. PSVR 1, rather. But with the limitation of having to play a VR game with a controller, which with a normal controller, which I think ruins immersion. So being able to play Resident Evil 8 and get that same sense of facial emotion, but then start getting that bodily awareness in there. I mean, Lady D is, I can't wait to be, you know, like, I'm a fairly tall person. So she's like, what, eight, eight or something. I'm like, I'm six, three. I I wonder if I'm probably going to be like right in her bosom. I I, I imagine that if it actually scales from my height in VR. (laughs) Well, you know how they're like, Hey, place the, place the controllers on the ground to know where Mm -hmm. the ground is. If, you know, you could just lay down with the controllers there and the game knows <laughs> that she could just step on you. you know? You've <laughs> got it. This PG-13 show. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, you've got it. So I've got that. I've got Grand Rhythm, like I said. I've got No Man's Sky that I've tried a little bit of. I've tried Vacation Simulator, uh, which I did not try on VR1 despite loving P- uh, Job Simulator. I've tried Job Simulator. And then yesterday, I finally broke into Horizon Call of the Mountain. Um <sighs> Yeah. So, as you've played so far, what has been the most surprising PSVR game for you on PSVR 2? Oh, man. Uh, 
So I've been dancing around a lot of VR games. I'm going to say the one that surprised me the most is really two games. Uh, one is a game that I have played on PSVR 1, um, but it's just, it's so damn good. And the way that they have touched up this game and it it feels incredible. Moss Book 1 and 2 go out there. Unfortunately, they're not backwards compatible or they don't have a free upgrade path to them. Um, you know, the, and, and I and, really would have thought that would have been the ones to do it. Yeah. And yet job simulator and vacation simulator are the ones. And, you know, they were really awesome when they were talking to us about it on the trophy room like two weeks back. They're mm-hmm. just like, we really would love to, but we want to keep making games. I and know. This it's is hard. That's why. Yeah, and yeah, Polyarch are great. The only way. Right. Yeah. Moss One is a phenomenal game, and I'm very phenomenal. excited for Book Two. But I chose Can't not to play to it on play. PSVR One because I knew it would be a VR Two title. Yes. So I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, getting getting to experience it on PSVR Two, it's the definitive version to play. Go play. It's just it's incredible the the way that the adaptive triggers and haptics just work on that game is stellar. Um, the other one is Pistol Whip, which is so damn good. It is like Beat Saber met John Wick. And it's like, <laughs> and okay. it's just like, here's some cool techno funk vibes. Um, go have shootouts like, like your, your, you know, your, your art arcade style, like house of the, the dead types shootouts. Um, but we'll reward you. At least it seems like if you're just shooting to the beat, so if you're shooting to the beat and you're hitting them like the most accurate way, it'll give you bonus. Um, it'll give you like like bonus points. Again, yeah. it seems. I haven't played much of it because, oh, my God, it's tiring. They wanted me to dip, dive, and dodge. Um, but like it is awesome where it's just like you want one gun, you want two guns. Two guns, style points. You know, turn sideways, kill shot. All those yeah. things. It is so much so much fun. Uh, the music's great. It, it pumps you up. It makes every gunfight feel more exhilarating. And because it kind of has that super uh, hot vibe of just like, hey, the, the bullets, they're coming at you, but you have time to dodge them and mm. dip and dive. Mm-hmm. It does make you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm John Wick just dodging bullets and shooting guys and taking names. And, you know, having that, that scoreboard there as well. Uh, I got to show my, my buddy Ains how it's done. Cause he's dethroned me on PSVR two on, on the, on the scoreboard. I gotta, I gotta go back and kick his ass and it shouldn't be easy. It should be really easy actually. Um, but the adaptive triggers, the haptics there, it, it definitely feels like I'm shooting something. And it's so funny. Cause like, you feel so cool, but I've seen uh, someone tweet out like, yeah, my house cam, uh, caught me playing PlayStation VR two playing Pistol Whip. I look like a goddamn buffoon. <laughs> like, he really is like. It just makes you move in such a way where it's just like after five minutes, you do have to put down the controllers. You got to be like, all right, I need a break. This is intense. So much fun. Those have been my two biggest surprises. How about you, man? Nice. Um, okay, it's it feels a little bit of a cheat. I'm still gonna say it. Uh, Gran Turismo 7 is specifically, dude. I, I wouldn't have thought, right, with the extra layer, I really understated how much having the racing wheel set up 
with the racing Ooh. seat set up and the yes. headset on changes everything. So the only thing I'm missing from an immersion standpoint that I really, really want, and I'm trying to figure out how to make it work with PS5 because they decided to not include an optical owl as Sony is slowly, which a lot of console, I mean, it's happening in a lot of tech. I yeah. get it. But um, the the butt kicker, as they're called, is something that takes <laughs> all of the low-end audio in the game and it converts it into an actuator that just, you put it on the side of your chair and it, it literally just shoots oh, out of wow. the cylinder and it vibrates your chair. So if you hit a wall... It takes that low end sound from the game and converts it into vibrations for your chair to give that extra sense of immersion. Dude, that's awesome. But they already have that. So if you go into Gran Turismo 7 and you go to your VR settings, one of them is that head vibration, right? Which yeah. I think is a game changer in a way I never could have anticipated. I, I never thought, and it's always so subtle as well. Cause when we first heard it, it's like, what? I'm gonna, like, my head's gonna explode if someone gets a headshot on me, but like, it's so subtle. Like you'll actually in Call of the the Mountain, there's times where you feel a breeze. Yeah. Like it's just it's nuts. I'm sorry, continue. No, trust me. When it whenever it actually hit, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. But yeah, if you go into there, you it, initially it's set to collisions only. Yeah. And it's specifically frontal collisions. But you can go in and you can change it to collisions and uh and impacts. So that way if you hit a wall, it vibrates your head. And I think that as well as just having the physical wheel and the physical pedals, it's transcendent in a way that's a little hard to describe. So I had a friend come over. He decided to hop in, and he felt it too. And I was like, maybe it's just me, and I, maybe I'm letting my hype get to me. But yeah. he was interested in PSVR too, but he wasn't worried about getting one, and he doesn't. he's not big into Gran Turismo, all sure. these things. So I was like, he's a good test subject. He got in, and uh, you know when you're driving in a car and you hit a hill – and you're going just a little too fast, and you feel your yep. stomach kind of rise. Yep. This game replicates that to a T. To a T. When that first happened to me, um, I was I was blown away. So, like, I've seen a lot of people go, yeah, Gran Turismo 7 is a showcase game. I've played, like, five tracks. Like, I, it, you know, yeah. I can't race in this game to save my life. That being said... Um, the, the time where I am racing it for a makes me a more cognizant driver. So like, I feel like I am actually playing better because I'm in VR. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm more aware of the road, if that makes sense. And when, yeah, when you're going down a hill, my brain goes, Oh shit. <laughs> you're about to feel the inertia. Like, yeah. Hit you. yeah, yeah. Um, it felt so, so good, man. I, I, I blown away by how, how impactful and how much VR changes this game. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think it's always been a great game, but immersion and being able to get someone to go, well, this isn't a game. This is me physically driving. Yeah. And that's why I really want anyone who can. And I know it's, it's a very hard question, hard thing to do, but if you ever have the opportunity to play it on a wheel with that, honestly, I thought mind. about it. I thought about it for a good minute. I was like, <laughs> I think I could do this with a wheel because, like, it was. Yeah, the problem crazy. Chris is currently having is that he's debating getting one because he's looking at some of the games and we game share, so he knows he's like looking. He's like, I'll come in with a pretty large library day one, and so he was like, I could, I could do that. And then he's like, but I'm a little worried that I'll try Gran Turismo Seven, then it'll go into well, I bought a five hundred and fifty dollar headset, well, I bought a four hundred dollar wheel, yep. well, I bought a three hundred dollar racing setup. <laughs> you know, it's and like, for me, it's like I don't have enough shit in this. Like, I have enough. 
Like, I don't, like, where am I going to put a wheel? You know, God yeah. knows where. Well, that's the thing. Like in my game room, it's a, it's been a pain in the ass because since Gran Turismo 7, it's just been there. But I have the racing wheel set up permanently in there and it's sticking out in the way. And yep. I just, my wife keeps me like, are you going to move this? I'm like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> I, I use that. You don't touch yeah. it. She keeps yeah. hitting her shin on it and yelling at me. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Part for the course. Yeah, no, it, it's Gran Turismo 7 is incredible in in VR. I want I want to know for you though because I know you're a big Gran Turismo stand. It's it, you are gonna see it is gonna be like a, a, a coming to Jesus moment for you, right? But I want to know what your thoughts are on Horizon Call of the Mountain because that is the showcase game. I want to know that, how far in that you got. I've beaten it. Oh, I've, okay. I've, so I could I could give you the in, intensive <laughs> you know, review of it for sure because I got thoughts. So I played as much as I could yesterday while knowing I had to prep getting my windows all. Sure. I had to move all my furniture away, pull all my blinds down. Um, so I played for about an hour and a half, maybe. And I really wanted to do more. But it's a game that started off not high on my excited list. But I did decide to go ahead and get the bundle. Because why not? It is built to be the showcase game. Yeah. Then reviews hit for it. And I heard some people, some people saying, well, it's, you know, like, ACG, who I really like as a reviewer, he's only gotten me wrong one other time that I can really know where his thoughts on Days Gone and my thoughts on Days Gone are just polar opposite games. Oh, really? So, but tends to be that I really align with him. So when he was like, well, it's not an exceptionally good Horizon game or an exceptionally good VR game, I was like, or I think he may have said game. Either way, I was like, well, that's a little disappointing, but you know, I'm still going to try it. I've already got the pre-order. So I've been holding off and I've been playing everything else, right? Like the first time I felt head vibration was in Gran Turismo 7, but the first time I felt it to a large degree because I'm actually a fairly good driver in Gran Turismo. So if you don't collide, you don't feel it. Um, Yeah. Grand uh, In No Man's Sky, you feel it when you're breaking out of the atmosphere. uh, And that feels great uh i, and I then, might have to check that out yeah uh and then in vacation simulator because at the beginning you're making your character and you could pick up this razor and it starts vibrating your hand something you didn't really think about in psvr1 where the move controllers had no vibration you know it's yeah. like oh okay that's cool and then because i was like what's well, a razor i'm assuming i could shave my head and i took it up and my head started vibrating exactly like it feels when you're getting wow. and i was like whoa this is weird I was like, this is crazy. And then I went out into the beach part of uh, Vacation Simulator, and I was like, okay. And then I didn't even know it at first. My daughter started playing because she wanted to, and she reached her head over into a waterfall, and she goes, what's going on? (laughs) And it turns out, and I tried it myself, that when you dip your head into the waterfall, you feel the water roll across your head. So like, if you're partially in, you kind of partially feel the vibration, and if you're fully in, it vibrates a lot more. So I was very impressed with that, but it's like I'm going through these games, right? And I'm looking at everything else because I'm like, Horizon will be there. Horizon will be there. And, you know, you set up eye tracking when you set the thing up, but I haven't used it. No, no game has really done it other than for foveated rendering. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, well, I'm done with Job Simulator, done with Vacation Simulator. Gran Turismo 7 is just going to be played for the rest of my life. Fair uh, enough. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was like, it's time, right? Like I, I'm wanting to play PSVR. Hogwarts is there and I am... I actually haven't played Hogwarts all week because of VR2. It's kind of crazy. But um, I decided to start it up. And man, I have been pleasantly, and I mean pleasantly, surprised in every facet. The only problem I'm having with right now is I need to go into my settings and 
up my comfort settings because the ones that it defaulted me to, I really should have went a little above that. I feel like I move too slow. That's it. And yes. I know that there's a comfort setting for that. Yes. Uh, so hopefully that fixes that. Everything else about it, it looks phenomenal. It's one of the only VR titles that I think gives a very good sense of height. Okay. Because I've played other VR titles and none of them have ever given me the feeling of looking over the edge of something and thinking that is actually like I can 300 die. foot down. <laughs> yeah. If I jump, I die. <laughs> so the moment that actually got me and, you know, there's all the jokes and it is a very good joke because my wife was like, oh, you're done with vacation simulator. I was like, yeah, I moved on to climbing simulator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I was going through that and the bow and arrow feels excellent. I think the way that you stow your bow, I think the way you turn and can change your ammo by that, it all feels super intuitive. It all works really well. It looks better than pretty much any VR game out there, including Gran Turismo 7, because, of course, it's made for this specifically. But the moment that really got me, and I think is where I, it comes into my other surprise game category, that's where I was going with it, is there was a moment where I was climbing, and my wife was talking to me, so I used the pass-through button, turned around, looked at her, talked to her for a bit, got back in the game, and I started trying to climb again, right? And I went to go grab, and I didn't grab the right area. And so I fell in the game. And thankfully, there were handles below me I could grab, and I grabbed one. But that is also the first time in VR where falling felt like falling. Yeah. Um, and I... It really fucked with me for about a half second. Dude, it gave me a sense of panic. There was one part yeah. where I was just like, can I, I and, and like, can, can I reach it? And I didn't, and I fell for a second, but I grabbed on. So I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like my yeah. brain was like, Joe, <laughs> what did you, you almost killed us there, bud. Yeah. Yeah. That sense of immersion that it brings is truly it's, it genuinely surprised me. And then I yeah. just been having fun. I, I I need to share it on social media. Um, but I I did the I found the little cave painting section where the watcher breaks out yeah. and uh, painted a dude who found uh, found drip in the you know in the far flung future. <laughs> he had a he had a yellow Adidas bucket hat with a God blue bless. logo on it. You know uh, he found a crisp clean white Nike shirt with a red swoosh. Yeah. He had some purple Adidas track pants and some gold Nikes. I mean, my man was looking good. And then I told my <laughs> wife as she was watching me just be an idiot because yeah. I was I was having a good time. She's like, you're getting way too into this. And then I said, now, I like, listen, this is the future. The Internet doesn't exist anymore. They can't use it. I was uh -uh. like, I need to make sure that the people know. Don't look up blue waffle. Just don't do it. Oh, so I painted I painted a blue waffle and then I put yeah. a red X around it. Or, you know, the circle and the slash. Yeah, and I all thought you were going to do caveman <laughs> porn, but I, I, no. I like where this went. But my wife was like, Plus what are you gross. doing? And I was like, they need to know. That's She's right. like, they won't even know what blue waffle is. I said, in case anyone from the olden times That's has right. spread the word of mouth, they need to know. But no, I, I've had a blast with it. I'm not super far. Um, I've, I've spoke with Aloy. I don't really think that's anything of <laughs> that's not a surprising. Minutes, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I tried, I tried to booper and I was very disappointed that you didn't get to booper. I didn't get this? to booper. I was very, yeah. I, it made me laugh because I was also trying to do uh, the spy master. And every time I would try to reach my hand <laughs> out to him, he'd go, 
<laughs> like yeah, recoil on that. And like and he I, stares at you like, what the fuck is your <laughs> deal? Yeah. But no, past that, I really did. I think that game has a really high level of immersion uh, building things. I thought was cool. I actually thought putting the pickaxe is, I know it's a gimmick, but the thing about VR is that the gimmick works in VR. It's like yeah. gimmicks in other games. It's kind of like, oh, it's a gimmick. It's there's a disconnect. So I keep having that in my mind where I'm like, mm, it's not. It's like it's not there in other games. Like I would hate to have to build that pickaxe if it was a flat screen game. But you give me some motion controllers and you let me actually wipe like wrap the twine around it. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. this is cool. Yeah. So I'm very into it. I'm not super far. Um, the only real complaint I have with it, I, I think okay. the combat feels great. I don't like that combat puts you on um, a radius. Real? Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're in an open area, like the first watcher, you're in a radius. You're going to go in a circle around it. If you're on a cliffside, like with the Glint Hawks, it's going to put you in a side by side rail. And I yeah. know that they're trying to do that to basically onboard people. Like it's not going to be too much for you to have to control it. But I wish that was a comfort setting option. Yeah. Combat can be full free movement. And I think part of it is that you don't want to have to be thinking about moving left and right while you're reaching back to notch an arrow. There's yeah. plenty of things, but it really broke the immersion. Like for as good as the bow combat feels, having your sense of presence and movement go away kind of sucked. I was like, yeah. oh, this And just because like also like, cause you get to move left and right and you get to strafe, but moving left to right, at least to me felt so slow where like mm-hmm. there are some combat sections where like how you gain health is like you eat apples and fruits and, and stuff. Dude, most realistic apple texture. I've like, right. I ate the apple and I looked down and said, why the fuck did they realistically model this <laughs> this much? That's it right. looks like I can see where teeth have gone into the yeah. soft part of the apple. Yeah. Continue. But it like, just blew my mind. <laughs> those little stations, I always feel like I'm either dodging past them or I'm just like crawling slowly towards them because mm-hmm. midway to the end game, um, they throw a lot more enemies at you. The only thing that I have a problem with the combat is not only just the radius, but the variety in which you're fighting things. So, you know, there, there's a section where it's just like, hey, this part you have to duck. And I thought it was going to be a whole lot of, you know, do some ducking, do some strafing, like more of that. But I felt like you could just lean on strafing away from things mm-hmm. um, worked far better than anything else. And so why would you need to go duck, dive and dodge past anything? You just had that one ability that was so I feel OP. Um, yeah, like the game wasn't words. balanced around it enough. Yeah. And that that is unfortunate because as I was playing last night, I started getting the feeling that they were going to have it to where a lot of your encounters were going to just be one type of machine and you're just going to, it's like, well, just keep, my hope was that the early encounters are one machine so that you learn the mechanics. Well, you need to strafe here and you need to learn the weakness of the glint hog. But I started kind of feeling like I think that it's going to be like all one type of machine. And I would love to be at like a watcher and you yeah. shoot it in the eye and then you duck and the glint hawk flies over and you bust they open will, its cold storage. Yeah, and then they will alligator mix and match. comes. You know what I mean? That's good. Yeah. I'm glad. They will mix I do and want match that. a bit. Um, it, it, in, in a sense where like there's one boss fight where you're fighting big boss, watchers are coming in. Uh, there's one part where you're fighting a mini boss and then um, uh, was it a uh, uh, scalpers come in or whatever they're called. Uh, mm. Yeah. Scrappers or whatever. Scrappers. There you go. So they, they do mix and match a bit. I actually, 
to me, I feel like the combat feels great, but there's a lot of room for improvement there. I think it's where sure. the most room for improvement is. The climbing aspect, I feel like Sony walked in the doors of Fire Sprite, saw that they were making a really awesome like climbing simulator game, was just like, okay, this is awesome. You could fit this in the Horizon universe, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's what they really did. Because to me, the climbing aspects, the puzzle solving in, in that regard, uh, the epic climbs, they call them, I think, um, they feel epic. They feel like a ton of fun. And they yeah. are really fun. Like Traversing usually is the boring part of, of a game, but here it's there's just so much you're interacting with. There's always something to do. Um it, it just it felt really rewarding where I felt yeah. like the only thing that kind of needed work was the combat. And here I can finally say it after beating the game, you really didn't have to put a story in here um, because honestly, it could have been like Reyes needs to find his brother and that could have been it. Uh, it that could have been like a redeeming point. The the story here is so forgettable. I don't even I don't even remember the villain's name. And um, it's it's literally been three days <laughs> since I've been. Oh it. man, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you know, this is a bold statement as early as I am, right? So, uh, two things. Going back to your climbing, yeah, uh, the only the only problem I have with the climbing, and I don't I don't even think it's a problem with the game. It's a problem with the limitations of technology and what you can do. I am. It, it relies on the player. I am purposely making sure I'm keeping my hands above my head to give me a sense of climbing because realistically, once you grip, you can just pull them to your waist and you can do all the climbing yeah. like down here. And like, if you hate the climbing, I guess that's a way to get through it. But I found that because it, it was, it was visually bothering me because I was like, why? Oh, really? Why is my, why are my hands right here? And like, I'm hanging from a cliff. My hands shouldn't be here. So I was yeah. like, I'm doing it. So I'm like, cliff, <laughs> cliff. And I'm like, I know I look stupid. I don't even yeah. care. Yeah. I told my wife, I was like, how much of an asshole do I look like? She's like, you look super goofy. And I'm just <laughs> over here like, and she was like, but it does look like you're climbing. I was like, so look, there you go. You get there the picture. Go. And it made it way more fun. Yeah. As soon as I started doing that, I was like, oh, I'm going to play the whole game. Like When I'm climbing, I'm going to be super dramatic. I'm just going to be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Man, one of the boldest choices in that game, and it really worked out surprisingly, is the jump mechanic for jumping to yes. something that's away from you. So yes. you squeeze the controllers and you pull your arms in, and it like I get the idea is like you're you're jumping. But the one that got me the most so far is when you're supposed to jump, reach behind you, pull out the picks and shove them into the thing. I was like, that's a ballsy. Ass. There's there's <laughs> one where it's just like, hey. Uh, jump and then at the same exact time grab the grapple hook and when when you let go of that thing when you, when you get the grapple hook and you're, and you're jumping to grapple onto something and you're swing, it's you feel like you're Indiana Jones with the whip um, <laughs> that's it's, good yeah it's good again the traversal elements are the the absolute strongest feature and when you get to the vistas you're just like let me just take a moment this is oh yeah this is gorgeous. it's very pretty my bold take. We've talked Talk about. I thought. I thought Horizon Forbidden West is a fine game. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I got yeah. the platinum. I'm I not yet. I need to. I might think that one more. From what I've played so far, if you give me one more iteration of this and you work on it a little bit, 
I think I might like VR. I think I might like Horizon more as a first-person VR title. I, I think, think the sense of exploration is much higher. Yeah. I think the sense of climbing, like climbing... Some of my issues with both God of War Ragnarok and Horizon were that I'm starting to feel the fatigue of Sony's climb mechanics. Yes. And somehow that's gone when I have to physically do it. Absolutely. So I'm like, okay, you can hook me on the fact that Horizon's built around mountains that you need to climb. 100%. I'm cool. We got you. Now that I can physically do it, as weird as that may sound, the chore of having to do it makes it that much more engaging, which makes it that much more interesting. And suddenly I can climb. You know what I mean? But whenever yeah. you're telling me to climb a giant mountain as one character in God of War, it's like, this was kind of a lull for me in that particular game because I felt like I was spending a lot of time doing an ultimately boring task. Yeah. Somehow it, it's, it, engagement it feels like- adds to it. Hey, and and that's actually one one major point. Oh, my buddy Ains over at Season Gaming was making was just like, I I, I get the, the the PlayStation style of game, you know, fight, climb, fight, climb, dialogue, squeeze through crevice. And I'm like, all right, fair. I understand the the, the critique, but you know, to me, um, yeah, the climbing of this game, it, it it's it's. It's not because you're filling a loading screen or hiding a loading screen. Mm, like mm. you're actively doing something and you're figuring things out. It's not just hand, you know, hand holding you to the to the next objective, which I feel like Ragnarok, Horizon, you name it, they do it. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like if they give you more options to get to those things, where I feel like Ghost of Tsushima does that really well, I think we wouldn't mind the climb mechanics much, but I do agree with you. I feel like the climbing mechanics here and the world itself lends itself to VR better than I think most, if not all, of the PlayStation first parties do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. So, I mean, definitely a sense of verticality because verticality is a really easy Absolutely. VR point, right? It's like, ah, oh, yeah. you can get a sense of scale and you get up there. Um, but really, the combat impressed me while still being like, I can clearly see whereas it tries to expand, it's going to fail a little bit. But I'm going to chalk that up to, hey, we've got to rush a game out of the door to meet launch. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in the story because I also thought there's a way for you to tell more intimate stories that don't have to get so crazy when you feel like you're part of them. I really feel like first-person games can tell stories that, if you think about the narrative, they sound mundane a little bit easier. Like God of War 2018 clearly told a mundane story in a fantastic way. Get to the top of the mountain, spread some ashes. But I feel like VR is suited really well for, like, I kind of wish what remains of Edith Finch was a, was a VR game. That's actually what I was thinking the entire time I was playing it is this is incredible. It has a really cool, interesting story. I would love to interact with all these things. Like I'm seeing it from this perspective. It would be cool to interact with it truly from this perspective. So, um, all right, so with that in mind, we're talking about different things going on. Kuno Guy says, hi, guys. Which game experience or mechanic would you like to see brought into the VR space? Ooh. It's a hard what? question because as you were talking about earlier, PSVR or really VR in general kind of feels like the Wild West of gaming because yeah. you were talking about gaming on a flat screen has continued to get more and more iterative, whereas gaming on VR feels like it's getting more and more revolutionary. Yeah, And, and so that dichotomy between the two 
means that VR kind of already feels like it's on this thing. Yeah. There's been some surprises lately. I don't know if you saw um, Sony's Skate VR. And no. it's a first-person skateboarding game where you're on a board. And I, they have just a little clip on it. But you should definitely look up. It's a very short clip. But it immediately got me thinking, like, how do you introduce the idea of skating into VR? You don't have, you're not physically moving. You're not on a board. So what are you doing? Are you using your hands? How do your hands play into it? And it's just a consistent thing in my head. Like, what is this? So it's a hard question because VR is constantly answering the question of what can we do in VR? What mechanic can be brought into here? Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at it right now. This looks awesome. (laughs) Like that is, that is the mechanic that, that's a mechanic to get. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. How do we introduce feet? How do we introduce jumping as well? Like, we're actually like jump jumping to like like that. That's interesting. Um, I, I haven't tried the swordsman VR, but I want to see how we make parrying and blocking in in VR feel more impactful. Yeah. Um, cause there's a way to do it. When I was playing this, I was like, how do we get a ghost of Tsushima PlayStation VR game? <laughs> like, I, <was> like, <laughs> I yeah. want to be Jin in first person, please. For the love of God. Like I want to do the standoffs. Like that's what I want. Uh, but yeah. how do we make those feel good without them feeling corny, uh, or like that there's impact to, to the blades hitting. So see, that's always a big question. And you think of like vibration can help. And they yeah. do that in a lot of games. Our vibrations to give you a sense of impact. So, like, if this were a Canon VR and I can move my hand, even though my hand will realistically continue to go and knock yep. the can over, there's nothing they can do. But they can at least add a vibration and go, oh, you just interacted with something. Okay, cool. I would love to see that when you have to deal with something that's elongated away from your body. Like how how do you do that? Yeah. What is the what is the way you do that? Because um, if we're having a sword clash, like I'm thinking like this is like a lightsaber, right? Mm-hmm. If we're having that clash, where does how, the resistance come in? Yeah, where does the resistance come in? Are we talking like I gotta now get a band? Like how does it work? Like <laughs> I, I would like, yeah. Again, smarter people than me. It's like put a backpack on. It'll be like you put gloves on. It'd be a frog. <laughs> uh, like and that's how you get the resistance. But like, I, I, I don't know. There's so many, so many questions that people much smarter than me will have answered sooner than we think. Sometimes there are answers you don't think about. Like I don't know if you remember seeing. Um, there was a third party accessory for PSVR one that didn't work in every game, but it worked in mm-hmm. some. I think it was called the rudder. You'd put it on your feet, and while you were sitting and playing yes. any kind of game like Skyrim VR supported it, you could tilt your feet forward, and that would activate movement, which is yeah. great because the biggest problem with Skyrim VR on PSVR 1 is that to move, you had to hold the move button in your right hand and hold your arm at a slightly forward tilt, and it was awful. It means oh, that yeah. to do combat, you had to be standing still. Yeah. <laughs> so the rudder was a good way to introduce that, but you don't, you know, it's like, the biggest question you always have to have is the answer needs to be something that can exist within the base level technology as much as possible. Um, but sometimes you just can't. So it's like, how close to base can you get? Like we're talking about the gun and the rigid body. All right. Is it reasonable to just like, Hey, buy a $20 stock that your stuff connects to. Okay. $50 doc, whatever it be. All right. But what do you start getting into and how, what is the answer and how complicated is it to where only the most enthusiast players want to get into it? Well, then you're not really solving a problem. You're creating a niche. Yep. 
Exactly. And, and so like, it, yeah, it's like, how do we, how do we answer that problem without introducing another peripheral? <laughs> yeah. Or at least yeah. how do you do it while introducing a peripheral that's going to be reasonable enough and cost effective enough that people will at least mostly adopt it. Fair. Yeah. You know, cause like I think about like, I love the idea of a VR treadmill, right? Because the idea of being able to physically move your body and finally get past that. Cause in VR, I've noticed that if you can do the movement your character is doing in the game, you really minimize any, you drastically minimize motion sickness because your body feels like you're reaching and hitting that point. So like if in the game, it's trying to make me duck under best believe I'm ducking under whether there's a button for it or not. You know, if in the game I'm jumping, guess what, bro? I'm jumping. It's like, I'm going to try and do what I'm seeing in game as much as possible. If it doesn't already do that for you. Um, So it's, but you know, you can't rely on that for everything. So it's a big problem. One thing kind of in that uh, vein, and this is probably more doable, but I don't know that I've seen it in a VR game yet. Mm. A, a weird mechanic that I don't see very many in very many games, but I adore. It's one of the things that I think an Xbox IP has really gotten super right. Um, Gears of War's perfect reload mechanic is one of my favorite yes. shooter mechanics out there. It's yes. super satisfying. It engages you in gameplay and it makes what could have otherwise been mindless third person shooting and cover based stuff, or at least more mindless. It makes it feel like you got to be on edge. You got to be paying attention. You got to be able to hit that right when you want it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you pull that into VR, but I would love to see it. Like yeah. you've got to physically time reloading and putting everything in. And if you do, you get, you know, it's, it, <laughs> kind of a cheat but it's like your first shot after that has got more damage or whatever sure you know, or like it's you know. a heat seeker i don't know like yeah because like how how would you do it, uh, it how would you do it that, that again it like it's like how do we achieve the perfect reload what like you slam the the magazine just ever so correctly but then you're hitting your controllers back like it's a whole thing so yeah, maybe it if it was like a shotgun game like you time when you switch it back you know, like like you're yeah. like you're in Terminator Two. Yeah. Maybe that's how that's how you could get a get it right. See, yeah. this is how we do it. We we make a Resistance VR title. Insomniac is known, and the Resistance franchise is known for having crazy weapons with crazy secondary fires. Introduce the perfect reload into that. You can only have it to where it works on guns that are two handed. That makes sense to do it like a shotgun yeah. or a rifle to where it would be a, a magazine away from the trigger so that your hands wouldn't be interacting with it. Like a, a pistol is too short. You're if trying yeah. to do that, which I'm curious. I'm actually, I want to see how that interacts because like I've done it in Resident Evil 4 VR for the Quest and I'm about to do it for Resident Evil 8 VR. I want to see how much having a full circle around your hand limits your ability to feel like you're doing that because that's one of the biggest moments in VR I've had so far is Resident Evil 4 VR, reaching down, grabbing your clip. It also makes a game that's otherwise very easy or at yeah. least considerably easy. Like now it's hard. It's like, re- it's not hitting square to reload, baby. It's reaching down, grabbing it. And then every shot, you got to make sure you're counting because if you have Oof. to reload, you have ammo Oof. that's scarce and you have to make sure you're not missing because it's going to take you time yeah. more, than, more so than just ammo. So yeah, I would love to see that. I don't know. I, I guess the big question is, is all the mechanics we talk about are ones that there feels like there's a physical barrier. Mm-hmm that maybe VR will never get past and we just don't True. know. Um, 
uh, but I applaud the fact that VR tries so hard. Um, I think VR is, a, they're already doing it with one. Have you seen that? Um, and you may have heard of the game prior, like I had. Have you seen that before their, Before your eyes is coming to BSVR 2? Yes, Kyle's super hyped about that. Me um, too. Very excited for it, yeah. Great use of existing technology, right? Yeah. Well, okay, on PC, it tracks your eyes and looks and sees when you blink. Well, okay, this is eye tracking. Instead of it being a webcam, we're going to have it to where now we can also see where you're looking. Just because of how it tracks your eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, damn nuts. So in that vein, I would really like to see eye tracking. If it, it probably doesn't exist to this quality yet, but if it can tell that you're blinking, then there's some degree of yeah. thing. I would love to see a game. And there's a question, I guess this could go to, but I would love to see a game kind of try doing the LA noir style thing and have it to where, how your facial expressions interact with other things gives some kind of way. Like Ooh. if you're, if, if you, if you give someone a scold, it gives them a higher chance of giving you information. Yes. But if you're too soft with them and your appearance is too soft and you're not being gazing enough, then you're going to, they're going to run over you a little bit more. And I would like to, to be all like that, kind of like you get in a game like L.A. Noir, but it's not tied to you pushing a button to invoke that. Instead, it's like, ah, this is just going to be fluid and it's going to happen without you being prompted and that's how i think you really use vr to create something that feels like it's just it's being birthed in the moment everyone's going to have that like dude when you ran into this guy what happened oh man i gave i I played good cop bad cop with him you know (laughs) exactly like 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 your gestures your 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 brow movements could kind of dictate like I'm intimidating a guy, so I'm pressing B, but I'm also like scrunching up my face, like you know, like glaring at him, or like I'm giving like a subtle wink at it, like a like a wink or a nod of like, hey, keep this between us, wink to like bribe someone, yeah. like well, yeah, and go the extra awesome. mile, mix that with physical interactions, right? You know, the, the SpongeBob joke of you got to ask him a question first. It's like, <laughs> what color is my underwear? And then you smack the shit out of him. Yeah, you, you can do those things, right? You can have yeah. it to where, like, if you want to be aggressive with the player, you can, but then your look can back that up. And it could even be that if you're trying to be physically aggressive, but your look is being too soft, it's like, ah, you got to, he's not going to buy it. You know, it's like, so I would love yeah. to see, I guess what I always want is I want games definitely when they're in this immersive level like this. Like, I don't really care if a game like The Last of Us does it. But games that can really make first person feel like you're interacting with the game and the game is changing because of your input mm-hmm. and without you having to prompt, like, well, I hit B, so I told it what I wanted. I really think there's a lot of value in having games change around what you're doing. One of my examples was uh, talking with a friend who's a you know big Harry Potter fan, and we were talking crap about what houses we ended up in in Hogwarts. Sure. Ravenclaw, baby. And I was like, I'm Slytherin. I was like, it's just because you're not Slytherin or whatever. And she was like, whatever, you chose that. And I was like, oh, no. Nah. Because my form, I was like, I kept the class that it told me I was. Sure. And it just so happens that I do like Slytherin. I wouldn't have changed it anyway. Because my version of how I think yeah. that game should have gone, the magic idea behind the sorting hat should be that you play the game, you start, you have an opening set up before that. The game looks at things that you've done, interactions you've made, how you've approached something. If you tried being cunning or brute force, and then after you work through the entire thing, you diegetically get to the point where you get to the sorting hat, and it looks at how you've played, and it tells you what house you're in, and at least for the first playthrough, you can't change it. That would be my version of it. And then replayability means that, hey, 
on second playthrough, you can choose whichever house you want. That way you you know you can see anything that you missed or how it changes the game. I like it when games do that. I think the same thing as Cyberpunk. It shouldn't be that I choose to be this kind of kid, right? You should you should let me into a situation where what I am doesn't matter, but let me play and then figure out how my actions most closely align with Corpo or, you know, yeah. Nomad or whatever it be. That's how I think I would love to see games do. Nomad life. Yeah. Nomad life. I was a street kid. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was a street kid. All right, all right. But it's okay. You know, I mean, hey, the love of my life uh, was, a, was a nomad, so I can't, you know. Oh, you're a Pan Am guy? <laughs> I, was a, I was a Judy gal through, through and through. See, I, here's the, th- the problem I faced was that I wanted to romance Judy and Pan Am. Because uh, I also, I quite like Judy. as a, yeah. I think Judy goes to show the power of CD Projekt Red's character building. I don't care yes. what you think about that game yes. or anything else. Judy is one of the most fully real, and so is Pan Am. I'll give them both yep. credit. The characters in that game that you really get a lot of time with feel like more people than people I interact with on a day-to-day basis sometimes. But I, I, again, I was talking to, to my buddy Ains. I hate that I'm name-dropping him so much. But he used to hey, say, shout out Ains, you know? <laughs> hey, he sucks. But like, it'll, <laughs> but like we, we were we were agreeing out, like, like he was just like, just wait till you're like halfway through the game. You're going to see how this writing takes off. And you're right. Like Johnny Silverhand, I'm like, he's one of the best written characters in a video game. And I'll fight anybody. Cause like mm-hmm. you were I, like midway through, like he's talking about like in the beginning, you fight like, you know, there's some spoiler stuff that that Johnny does, and then midway through, I'm like, "Yeah, I feel like you know what? We should burn this place to the ground. <laughs> I don't think there's only saving it." I think yeah, right. I, I thought the same of Carrie, right? Like you, you get that interaction yeah. with Carrie, and at first, I'm like, "Ah," and then the game keeps going. I'm like, "Damn, he's got a lot of depth. This is surprisingly yeah. working." So yeah, that's another thing. You know, in terms of what kind of things you want to see, I would love to see games that choose to go that in depth VR because or that in depth uh, RPG. In VR, because I think one of the biggest things that we talked about with Quest, right, is that Quest as a singular entity without PC connectivity, there is nothing that matches the scope of pretty much anything uh, that's on, you know, that that realistically is, is going. Like Skyrim VR can't be played on that. But that is the VR moments when you can play what feels like a massive game that you have real presence in on VR. It's a big change. Really yeah. changes things up. Absolutely. All right, so here we are. We have two more questions that we're going to wrap out VR talk okay. with, and then we're going to we're going to fly through the rest of this. Uh, first thing I know you're going to love because you, my man, talk about are it. a connoisseur of the From Software. Ooh, wee. that's so, when I get excited, guys. That's my call sign. Sean Horn asks, "Yeah, do you think we could get a Souls game in VR?" God, I hope. I think it would look amazing. <laughs> Something to think about here. From software, we're very early adopters of that, yeah. and they Deracine. did do Deracine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you say Deracine. I say Deracine. The, the accent mark, you know? I'm like, there's an Enya somewhere. I don't. I never know which of the accent marks makes it like a, a bossy E or whatever. Yeah, so that's I just fair. I say Deracine. <laughs> uh, but I think when they're talking from software, they're talking... They're talking your Dark Souls. You're talking your your from one uh, yeah. Your your Bloodborns. Um, yeah, one day. God, I hope that day soon. Well, this goes uh, back to your conversation about parries, right? I think the biggest yeah. issue is you've got to you've got to solve the disconnect 
that will get you there. That's why I think games like Horizon are such a good fit because bow, arrow, and guns are really easy solutions. Yes. But physical contact in VR, unless you're fighting something that you immediately slice through, like there's a game um, called um what is it after the fall or not yes. after the fall hold on that's a Bef- left for dead style game yeah i'm thinking of before hold on well 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 you well you you you, you type I, i'll talk to yeah, me i i think i, I think it, let's let's take the swords and shields out of it for a sec right maybe mm-hmm. it is something akin to like um what if what if i'm a ranger what if I'm a pyromancer? What mm-hmm. if I'm like a, a warlock, a witch, whatever have you? And like I'm casting spells and yeah, like there's movements or gestures that I can do to, to block enemies or things that I can do to dodge and maybe even parry a bit. Like we could toss them like to me, it's, it's tossing out what we think a, a, a from software game is and going, how do we make it work for VR rather than trying to force those mechanics in uh, with, with a, what we think of like a hack and slash, like, you know, from software game would be thinking of like a, a bloodborne. So by making it maybe ranged focus, you could introduce those concepts better in VR. Mm. Yeah. Perhaps. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. The game I was thinking about is called Until You Fall. Um, you fall. It's a roguelite. It's a hack and slash roguelite for VR. And the idea is that like when you get to most enemies, you just slice you know right through them. There's no reason they don't block or try and do anything like that. They can attack you, but you have opportunities. Like you can die. You can like it's not a parry really, but like if you do things at the right time, like knock their hand away. But you don't have to have that same sense as I feel like you'd have to have in a in a Souls game. So, ooh, this looks cool. Right. It is an interesting game. Uh, right. I, I th- it, needs, it needs a little bit more, but it's a cool idea nonetheless. Right. Uh, you know, it's that it's in that VR in between where it's like, well, you, you gotta you gotta walk before you can run. You know, yeah, absolutely. So here's the hoping they get a chance to run with a similar idea because it, it's a good game. All right, last question. Okay, no fate. One of our patrons. He what comes up? in. And he says, "Oh, actually, I, I have a couple. <laughs> it's fine. We'll get there." Right. Um, no fate says both of you pitch your own VR game. I mean, mine's is all branding. Like, like, I mean, just give me a star Wars game. You know what I got to do? I mean, yeah, we already got one right now. Like, just give me another. I don't know what, like, <laughs> give me, <laughs> give me an X wing and no, see, they already got one. Then. All right. Fuck. Uh, I was going to say, give me a lightsaber game. They got me. It was Vader immortal. Just anything in the star Wars universe. I'm going to be into it. So maybe give me a Mando game. Give me a Batman ah, shooter. Game. There you go. Yeah. Shooter you focus know. more. Or to, to revive thirteen thirteen. Whatever a VR that title. was going to be. You <laughs> know what? If Mando ran because of or, or Mando lived because thirteen thirteen had to die, that's fair. Now, I'll say this: um, the game that I would actually want, and I think would would play really well in, and I think your cat's going to agree is cyberpunk <laughs> i think the different yeah. weapons that you're able to to shoot and like all the manufacturers like you can make each man even works for like borderlands like each manufacturer's weapon could feel and literally feel the same uh or, or feel different and like having the the what is it the the mantis blades like Ooh. What if, what if when you're to access the mantis blades, all you got to do is grip the controllers 
right? Press uh, R1 and L1 at the same time, then push your 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 arms back and they, oh, the and they fly open. Pop out. Yeah, like mm. that, that would be rad as hell. So give me that because I think you're right. I think what we're really missing here is a truly deep RPG. And I think games like Demio um, that ha- like solve the board game aesthetic um, work. Now let's see how a, a true RPG would feel here. What does your cat think? I, I think he 100% agrees. Uh, so for anyone watching on video, this is Onyx. Aww. I rescued him from work. He was a shop kitty. Um, we had a bunch of cats out there. They're just strays because it's a big warehouse plant, you know? Sure. And uh, one of them got ran over by a forklift on accident. Oh, no. So we started worrying about getting him safe. Uh, but I do need to go put him up real quick. So uh, yeah, entertain the it. people. I didn't know he was in here. I locked him in. No, he's like, please get me out of here. Hey, guys, listen, it's just me. Oh, look at that. Look at that cat. Hey, guys, listen, you, you're probably listening to this via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast, which you should definitely listen to right after you're done listening to this show. We're currently doing a Resident Evil 4 giveaway. If you rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, make sure you're following the show over at, at PS Trophy Room. And you know, share us a clip of your review, and you're entered in. Look at it; it's that easy. I just did so. Oh, you're you got the headset on. I was just doing some plugging of the show, letting people know about our Resident Evil giveaway. Go right on ahead. All right, good. I want to tell you first of all, seeing all the big stuff you're doing. Yeah, congratulations to you, boys. Thank Y'all are you. doing things I've been thinking about doing and trying to work ways and time into. So it's nice to see someone else try and run and uh, and, and really make big moves. Honestly, can, can I can I tell you something that we could get into the community takes and all that? Um, Let's do it. the The biggest advice I could give is just do it. Just like Shia, pull a Shia, just do it. Um, <laughs> it is really scary because we had Jane Perry on, we had uh, Danielle Busotti. That's how she said it. She's mm-hmm. like, give me, I love, like, because I messed up the first time. She's like, no, 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 no. Give me the Italian flair. And uh, <laughs> she's, she was fantastic. And, um, you know, everybody, they were just like, how did you get him on? Just ask. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, just ask. It's honestly goodness, shoot your shot, kids. The, the worst is that they say no. The least bad is like they don't reply because they're busy. But the best is like, yeah, when and where. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really great to see you guys doing that. So yeah. I mean, really big ups to you for anyone who enjoys and listens to your show. Uh, and you know, I'll tell you, I don't tend to listen to gaming podcasts for a number of reasons. I I, I like to not feel like my opinion is being bled in by someone else. But Kyle is the same way. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's important, and it doesn't mean you can't appreciate those shows for what they are. And um, sometimes I'll listen to stuff that I think okay, I'm not doing anything like that. I just find this interesting. Like Colin does a whole bunch of bring people on who kind of got shamed out into the industry and just hear their sure. story. No, yeah. he doesn't agree or disagree or say what he thinks. It's just, I'm giving you a platform to let's talk. And I find those super interesting. So yeah. I can enjoy other content that way. Uh, but every now and then, if y'all are talking about something that I'm like, mm, I don't think we'll really talk about that. I'll tune in and kind of just get y'all's thoughts on stuff. Thanks, I definitely yeah. like I tuned in and listened to uh, the Horizon whenever I asked y'all yeah. about that because I think it's a genuine question for the PlayStation fan base of uh, at you know, what point do you start to feel much like the the Star Wars fan base has had issues to where occasionally you feel like you're getting bombarded and yeah. it's like a blessing and a curse. Like you feel good that you're getting bombarded, but you also have that worry of like. 
but can one I day, eventually get tired of it? <laughs> yeah, and I it's, and so like to me with that question too, I'll answer it here on the show. Is as long as the content's great, that that won't matter. It's the it's the times where you slip. I think it's something the MCU is kind of facing, where it's doing a little bit too much and not appreciating the folks that are doing the hard work to bring those things to life. Where if they scaled back and they were just like, hey, listen, you know, we can we can have three movies a year that are going to be great instead of trying to shove in five. Um, you know, that's, that's where I think the, the quality, it has to be quality over quantity. So as long as those projects are, are good and written well, then it doesn't matter to me how many are there because for me in the star Wars fandom, I'm eating like people can talk whatever they want about <laughs> who, who's the Skywalker or not. But to me, it's like, Mando's great, and Andor is a completely different show that is just like it doesn't. It doesn't even need to be a, in Star Wars. Like it, this, this, it's too good for us to be honest. So like, <laughs> it's too high thinking for us. Um, but like, then you have like the cartoon show. So like, Lucasfilm's done a great job of showing you like you can do a whole bunch of stuff with this IP, and as long as it's written well or competently, um, people connect to it then it doesn't matter how much is out there. But I understand fatigue is always a problem that people have. And I think sometimes people try to will it into existence, if that makes sense. It does happen. Yeah. All right. So let's see. I guess my quick pitch of a VR game. Um, a while back on one of the episodes, and I've been thinking about it more and more, and it's a very simple mechanic to start a game idea with. But I like this idea of... I was talking about it'd be fun to have a game where you have a fishing reel, like a fishing pole, and it's a bow at the same time. So this is like a game where somebody who's into fishing ends up in this weird situation where they end up having to fight. And so they turn their fishing rod into like a compound bow by just pressuring it. And I thought it'd be really interesting to have a thing where like you shoot an arrow, but it's connected to like a fishing line. So you, I think about games like, have you ever played Titan Souls? No. Okay, so it's a it's like a top-down Shadow of the Colossus boss rush style game, mm-hmm. but you have a single arrow. And every time you shoot it, you've got to go, you gotta pick it up or pull it back into you. And one of the mechanics is that you shoot the bow and then like the arrow goes and you can pull it back into you and get a second hit in. Well, I thought it'd be cool to have it to where like, you know, your fishing minigame is you're playing like you're you're shooting an arrow and then reeling it in. And the combat, you're you're doing like you pull out your bow, you shoot it, and then that's your one arrow. It's on his ring. And if it sticks into something, you can like reel them in towards you, almost Ooh, like Scorpion okay. style. Yeah. And otherwise, you can shoot it past them. And if they dodge that, then you can... I thought it'd be cool like for VR, if you're going to try and adapt this to that, which is kind of what I was thinking. Like This would work, right? You shoot it in VR, and it goes. And then you can shoot it past somebody, or you can shoot it in different ways. And you can either choose to reel it in, or you can reach up and physically grab the line and yank them towards you. I was like, that would be really cool. So I'm thinking something where it's kind of like you talked about with uh, Horizon, where it's like, fuck the story. Like, you can have a setup. You can have like a little reason as to why things are happening. But then just let me be in that world. Let me run around and fight creatures and find interesting ways to think about using an arrow that has a fishing line attached to it. And I just love the idea of shooting it and then watching the string go from your bow and like you whip it up and then you start using like a reel to pull it in. So I I think that 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 would be fun. I think kinetic games really work in VR, and that seems like something that would be very kinetic and uh, frenetic. Uh, But yeah, dude, definitely something in that big, deep, 
RPG vein, you've got something going there. We go to our last question from one of our patrons, Aztec King. He says, I have a question for you guys. Are you guys excited okay. for the Slinger? That uh, is don't Beat say Saber. That word oh, wait, no. Slinger, no. That's a lot. Slinger's a lot. Slinger. Not Banger. Yeah. We, I only yeah. said it to clarify, but no, yeah. we don't. No, I understand. We, <laughs> uh, he says, uh, yeah, are you ready? Are you excited for the Slinger that is Beat Saber whenever it comes to PSVR 2? Besides Drum Rock, would you guys like to see any other type of rhythm game for PSVR 2? I know Kyle's been playing like an air guitar game and he's been digging. Yeah, yeah there is um, one. I am so excited for Beat Saber. I am hoping that there's a way to connect your old albums to Beat Saber. Fingers crossed, but something has me doubtful. Um, <laughs> and I would say also for any, you know, lead over listeners here from the trophy room, uh, Kyle hates the word no cap. So. <laughs> Tell Kyle, no cap. I think the trophy room's amazing. <laughs> no cap. No cap. And he, he says it doesn't annoy him, but you can see there's a glint in his eye going, damn it. Joe found out <laughs> the word I hate. <laughs> Through years of, of experience, it's just waiting to see his reactions. Exactly. Um, Man, I, I like the idea behind Beat Saber, and I've played it at uh, the friend's house who has a vibe. But at least in their current forms, I, I would, you know, it sounds like what you're saying of uh, Pistol Whip is a little closer to what I think a VR rhythm game would be a little more engaging for me. And that's something to where you get the sense of playing to a rhythm, kind of like Hi-Fi Rush and uh, Metal Hellsinger. And it sounds like Pistol Whip where yeah. you can play and you can do damage and everything, even if you're off the beat. But if you're playing to the beat, you get that sense of rhythm and you start feeling like you're firing on the beat and you're playing into that. And the reward is that if you're on time, you you do better. You get more points, you do more damage, yeah. whatever it be. Um, I think rhythm games for me, it depends on the type of rhythm game, right? Like I think Metal Hellsinger was really fun and really good at, at being particularly that. Like play to the rhythm. People have been loving Hi-Fi Rush and it's that same idea. Like you don't have to be great to just play it, but it, if you can hit to where the rhythm is constantly, you're on beat. It's even crazier. Uh, so yeah. I think when you have all those things going, those games can be really fun, but that's kind of a skewing. I mean, like, you know, you can go to like social rhythm games, like rock band's great, but is there really any reason to play rock band in VR? Pro yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, I guess if you just want that extra thing of being able to, you know, the old guitar hero rock band games was like, the crowd is your gauge. And I yep. guess in that sense, you could actually visibly see the crowd. I'm not saying there wouldn't be a place for it, but I think that those games for me excel the most because of their social aspects. And VR is the antithesis of social in a, in a shared space there. Sure. It's great for social for something like Zenith. And I kind of am interested in Zenith, the MMO a little bit, right? Not, not because I really want an MMO. I just, I want to see how they're choosing to solve some of the MMO questions sure. in a VR uh, essence, but you know, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I think any rhythm game is inherently going to be focused around you as a singular person. And I would rather that not necessarily be an air guitar game or anything like that. Not saying that there's not interest for it. And there's certainly workout and cardio. And if you're a big fan of music benefits to it, it's just, it's kind of where you are, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I am excited in terms of the people I know who love Beat Saber get more Beat Saber. Bam, bam. 
<laughs> that's all you really need. And Absolutely. with improved tracking over PSVR one, if that's your only experience. Oh my so. God. It's going to be so much better. Yeah. So much they do have a demo for that uh, drum rock though. So if you want to go try that out, anyone, they got VR demos. Okay. Like you said, Demos can help a lot of people come in. I agree with you, man. Demos, I'm, I'm super glad that a lot of games have been demoing it up. Even if everyone ended up kind of slamming on Forspoken, I respect the hell out of them for putting a demo out. Yeah. It was the right move, even if it hurt them. It was a good move for everyone else. So yeah. you know what? Speaking of music, we get to go into the community's take where one of our patrons, B Raj 88 last week asked us, and we decided to ask you, Chris, uh, Chris had his... Uh, <laughs> Sure. We we decided to go into some pretty crazy ones of of this. So we've already answered this question. So Joe, we'll give you a chance to okay. answer as well. But you get funding to develop any game. And as a bonus, you get the rights to any musical artist's entire discography to use for your game. Who are you picking and why? So just throw it out there. You can use the music just to amp up your gameplay, kind of like Doom does. You can use it to where your music is working, the story around it, and it can either be kind of like a, a musical, a la Disney. <laughs> okay, okay. Within a game where you're using the, the songs to actually tell a story. Uh, so I'll, the first thing I always do anytime we get... Um, Hamilton and it's made by Telltale. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh boy, that has a chances of getting really interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. All right, Joe. All right. No, no, well, you, want, you want a real answer? Go for it, man. Um. Let everyone in on your musical taste here. That's what okay. this really is. I'm a huge metalhead. <laughs> I also love hip hop. I also love pop. So like, I'm, I'm all over the to place. To me, like you are like me and you just love music that you like. Yeah. I also have ADHD. But like, trust me, <laughs> I hear music sometimes and I'm like, I, I don't like anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it's not about genre. I mean, I definitely no. have tendencies toward a genre. Yeah. But if I like a song, I don't give a shit if it's country, pop, Jazz. If I like it, I like it. You know. I want the simple. I, I want something simple. There's a song that I listen to that always gets. It, it reminds me of Bloodborne, and I just want people to know that this would be an excellent trailer, you know, music for Bloodborne, and give me Burden by Slipknot, uh, a five minute trailer of, of of Bloodborne attached to it, because that. <laughs> that is blood like that that song to me is just it's bloodborne like that is that is the vibe but if i'm getting any money to make any game that i want using any discography yeah give me a rhythm souls born game that let's 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 drown out the the metal we got a lot of metal but like, I mean, let's give us throwing some, out the burden, right? I gotta give you just kiss. Yeah, hey, yeah. throwing out deep cuts, deep cuts. Slipknot, yeah, that's a that's, that's real fan Slipknot stuff right there. Yeah, um, but I'm I, proud I, of you. I, I'm wearing you. my Slipknot shirt right now. Uh, not are that you, you really? can see it, but I am wearing uh, my Slipknot damn. shirt. I have not seen them live. I really do want to. Um, but yeah, no, I I I, I, I give give me a a, a Soulsborne game. That is just based off pop and just like the whole discography as well. Give me something cheerful and upbeat while I'm fighting for my goddamn life. <laughs> I say, give me that. 
or give me death. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I always like. I want to kill to the beat of Elton John. You know. <laughs> Slicing and dicing to Tiny Dancer. <sighs> That'd be so good. Do it. Hold me closer. Tiny <laughs> <laughs> dancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, the slings like you do a parry and you hear the swing like directly exactly. in time with the music. Why not? Um, B. Raj, the the patron who gave the question, I'm going to re-give his. He gave it last week, but whenever he asked the question, but always like to, anytime we get a a community's take from a listener, we like to give their answer first and foremost. So uh, he says, give me Nas's collection as a whole, and I could tell such an amazing story with his music. All right. I like that. There you go. Yeah, give you a little bit of, you know, what's what's life like on the street? You got that going? Yeah. Yeah. They go, uh, Velvet Thunder. This is the most interesting answer and absolutely zero shame. Uh, and he says it with zero shame. So I appreciate it. Uh, it's just one of those things that you hear and it's like, wow, okay. It's this, it's so foreign to me, but he says, uh, he's a patron. If I didn't mention that, thank you, Velvet. He says, since I don't listen to music, I'm going to choose the persona five composers and I'd want to make a persona game. Fair enough. Cheat code, right? He's yeah. just like a game that I already like and then just make more of that game because their music is great. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Fair enough. It doesn't have to be VR, but you could. Right? Oh, okay. 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 Right. Yeah. This is, this is across the board, whatever you want, you know, this is oh, fair enough. Game. Well, you know, what? I already gave my answer. I don't want, I don't want to rethink it over. It's, <laughs> I, I'll break my brain. You know what? Fair. Right now, when, you know, when you're on the edge of Migraine City, you probably don't want to do that. Ooh. Oh, I'm central. I'm I'm central station of Migraine City. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Central Station. Um, Justin Goodrum, he's a a newer listener, or at least a newer of reaching out and speaking with us. Over on Facebook, he said, the Japanese band Love Bites, fast, heavy, Dragon Force level guitar solos would make for some great boss battle background music, or perhaps just make a band-specific rock band slash Guitar Hero. You know what? Guitar Hero Metallica was fucking awesome. I used to love the band-specific ones, because it's like, okay, yeah, I want to play a bunch of Metallica and then songs that they hand choose that they also want you to play. That's awesome. It's a great idea. Yeah, uh, the Beatles yeah. one. Ooh, we. That's where yeah. I'm at. I'm not a big Beatles fan, you know. Huge Beatles. That's what I grew up on. I, yeah. I barely know any Metallica songs as much as I love metal. I barely know any Metallica. I grew up on the Beatles and Queen. Yeah, see, that's the thing. My yeah. dad was a metalhead, so I grew up on. Disturbed, Godsmack, Metallica. Yeah. Like, you know, I was you know five years old in the back seat, singing <laughs> down with the sickness and singing Godsmack. You know, it goes to show how great my parents were. Just in the back seat, like stay away from me. Yeah, preschool teacher comes up to your dad. He doesn't want to share. He's just screaming, "Stay away from me!" I <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. Yeah. yeah, I was getting on to him for being, you know, he was he was messing with his Game Boy while he was in yeah. class, and he said, get off of my back, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he, he kept on saying, like, I, I, listen, I don't want to say anything about your son, but he's getting sick all the time. He's coughing. He's he's going, oh, oh. You know, it's, <laughs> we're, we're concerned. <laughs> Anytime I try to discipline him, he just goes, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, but uh, yes. we, to, to that to that extent, right? Some of the great music I was to growing up and still listen to all the time. Josh Shoop comes in, says, "Chainsaw Man, the game, except you're Fred Durst. The OST Ooh. is exclusively Limp Biscuit, as it should be." God damn! Thank you God, make God a, 
fire game. You can make a fire, <laughs> fire game off of that. Thank God, like, during the, the, the early 2000s, I feel like my parents did raise me right. Because I know nothing about Limp Biscuit, And I feel like I'm better for it. Limp Biscuit's so good. I love them <laughs> so wholeheartedly. And and I say this knowing yeah. that the the thing I appreciate about Limp Biscuit, right? Their shit is sometimes so cheesy, mm-hmm. but they sell it with the most fucking heart. Like he says that shit like it's from his heart, and I believe it. Yeah. If any other man looked me in the face and was like, I pick a chainsaw, what? I'd be like, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> but something about Fred Durst, my man has got the ability to hype people the fuck up. All right. All right. It, it's amazing. Jokes aside, there are some genuinely fantastic ballads from them or what you would call like a heavy ballad from them. Some of their absolute best songs are not goofy in the slightest. Mm. They are fantastic, but some of their best songs are also rolling, rolling, rolling. You know, you just fucking That's go. That's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's the life, man. I don't, there's a song off of, they have an album called Gold Cobra. And there's a song where the chorus is just like, uh, one more sucker MC gonna fry. And I fucking love it. It gets me super hype every time I hear it. It's a great song. I don't even know. I Limp Biscuit lives softly in my heart. They're, they're, right. I have such a soft spot for them. They're I'm not amazing, here to take man. Limp Biscuit away from you at all. Uh-huh. I understand that and I respect that. <sighs> but yeah, we have a we have a handful of people who listen to the show and around the show who just fucking love Limp Biscuit. So we just like share memes and stuff with each other. That's good fair. Times. That's fair. That's good times. I like right, you, last you one. And the, the the five others. I'm ha- I'm happy for. <laughs> The five, the five other Limp Bizkit fans. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Lago comes in with our last one that we're going to do here. He says, Battlefront 3, a modern build with a lot of the design features and ideas yes. of the one we never got. John Williams score, of course. Oh, Christ, yes. Alternatively, Fetus Farmer, the movie, the game, which is right. basically Scorn, but with a lot more amniotic fluid set to Nirvana's <laughs> In Utero and a lot of guitar no. feedback. God, this is no. the most, this is a fantastic answer. <laughs> oh god first off uh what was the game you mentioned uh da, 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 scorn creep me out from the get i was like no no this is this is too geiger for even for me no i'm, I'm it, out that game looks incredible visually that game is is insane uh, a very big fan couldn't, all right couldn't do it. Hey, in the future, if you want to be part of our community's take where we give a question that either comes from us or one of our listeners that we repurpose out to you guys, you can find us over on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook and the group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. If you ask to be entered into there, I'll gladly let you in. Or you can always click down in the description below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast service and find the link to our Discord where you can join in. We have a dedicated section for community's take. You can chat up about the podcast itself. We have a dedicated section for that. Or just hit us up with anything. We have music discussion over there. If you want to come and tell everyone how much you love Limp Biscuit, as you should, uh, we can slowly but surely bully Joe into listening to Limp Biscuit. That or is my just, goal by the end of this episode. Listen, I, again, <laughs> or you just you, you just say, you come in, go Gaga is queen. Because here on the trophy room, we stand Gaga more than anything. I That's Go for fact. it, man. Gaga's That's great. She's queen, and we do not disrespect her. It's your only See, royalty. Me and Chris, right? We have our little pantheon of, of queens, but they're all queens of okay. metal. So it's like Courtney Fair. LaPlante from Spirit Box, Tatiana okay. from Ginger. 
Okay. We, we have our, we, those are the, those are the two we've been on a lot lately. Yeah. Uh, me and my best friend, we stand Maria Brink. Uh, for oh, yeah. It's obvious. We've seen her live twice and just respectfully, respectfully. Also, fun <laughs> fact, I found out uh, John Williams scored Harry Potter. And I'm like, did. oh, that's why that soundtrack is such a bop. It is excellent. He, it John is John Williams. Excellent. God, you deserve all the rest, sir. Go retire <laughs> for the love of God. Yeah, two iconic franchises right under his belt. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing. Like just chewing gum that you can pull out anytime. Yeah. You also? Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Elfman, hold my wand or whatever this thing is that they, they have. You know? <laughs> I need to rest now. Hey, shout out to Elfman, though. Also a oh, fantastic yeah. composer. Got to give it to him. All right. We're going to go into the news. So first thing on the news, pretty quick, pretty innocuous. Capcom have announced Capcom Spotlight, a presentation focusing on upcoming Capcom games with titles such as Resident Evil 4 Remake, Mega Man, Battle Network, Legacy Collection, Exoprimal, and more confirmed for the show airing March 9th. So if you want more of Resident Evil 4, if the state of play was just not enough for you, you're going to have some. Uh, they're going to be talking about, you know, Sunbreak for Monster Hunter Rise coming to PlayStation and stuff as well. So check into that. You've been a yeah. uh, Capcom fan, Joe? I've become a big Capcom guy. So fun fact, Resident Evil 7 is my first Resident Evil game. Right? Oh, okay, nice. Uh, and then I fell, in, I fell in love with that game. And then I played two remake, three remake. Like ever since I've just been Resident Evil now is... I stand it because for me, the thing that got me into in the survival horror is dead space. Um, so God knows I love that dead space. remake is means so much to me that it's here. Uh, but Capcom's been hitting on such a, such a level that it, it seems like every game they're putting out is just doing so well. So the, the one that I'm excited for, because this, this spotlight really does seem like just, Hey, Resident Evil's out soon, and we got other <laughs> games that need a spotlight. So this game could be the reason why people show up uh, to highlight games like Exo Primal that I think look cool as shit. Like again, yeah. it's a more another one of those game as game, you know, game ass game experiences. So I'm excited yeah. for this as much as I won't be streaming it live anywhere, but I'll be tuning in. Like yeah, for sure. For a recap, I think Capcom have really gotten to a point where. This past generation specifically, and I think starting with Resident Evil 7, they've really started to set the pace in the industry in a sense to me. They are, I think the only reason Dead Space Remake exists is because Resident Evil 2 Remake came out and absolutely phenomenal, sold incredibly well, scored incredibly well. And I think EA saw reason to go, we have our own ability yeah. to tap back into a franchise of survival horror the one time that we decided to do it um <laughs> and i'm glad that they did because resident evil remake or resident evil um dead space remake rather was excellent but so was resident evil remake uh seven Stellar. was a big turning point for me it turned me back into a fan nice i love four five was just kind of a slog to get through six just disconnected with me entirely and when they showed seven i was like wow and then they showed yeah. it in VR, and I thought, wow. So I played it in VR first, and I think that really helped. But I replayed it uh, 2D uh, last year, and I was really yeah. impressed at how well it holds up, even outside of VR and just in general all these years later. Great game. Great game. Great game. All right, man. Uh, yeah, Exoprimal. 
that game is, I'm curious to see people's reactions because the only problem I see is that Capcom decided to show a game about dinosaurs with a character that looks decidedly close to the character or main protagonist of Dino Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, bold choice. Bold choice. But I, I feel like, I feel like they will eventually get, they'll get there. They'll get the Dino Crisis. I'm I'm genuinely curious. I think Exoprimal is a feeler. Yeah. Because as we talk about sometimes with backwards compatibility, it's a great thing. It's great to have. Sure. But it's really easy to talk. That I would love backwards compatibility. It's a lot different to actually play backwards compatibility. Uh, and same things here, right? You can talk all day long about how you would love a remake of Dino Crisis. Yeah. But would you actually buy it if they made it? Or would you, as soon as they showed it and anything was lightly different, would you complain that they changed something? And it's a balance, right? I think what they're trying to do is earn goodwill. Resident Evil 2 remake, goodwill. 3 remake, little mixed bag, mostly goodwill. Hey, Resident Evil 8 comes out, goodwill. Resident Evil 4 VR, or Resident Evil 4 remake comes out, goodwill. I I just think that they're trying to build that up, see if it's a fad that people can get tired of remakes, and then also use Exoprimal as an example. But yeah, we'll see. Moving on, though, next piece of news, Budokai Tenkaichi is back after a very, very long break. Uh, After a streak of popular titles such as Xenoverse 1 and 2, Dragon Ball Fighters, and the recent Kakarot, Bandai Namco have released a trailer teasing a return to the long-dormant Budokai Tenkaichi series of 3D Dragon Ball fighting games. Not much info was given in the short teaser, just showing Goku transforming into the now-eponymous Super Saiyan Blue as it cuts to a, quote, a new Budokai Tenkaichi begins, end quote. That is it. <laughs> but <laughs> all right, the hype on the internet went wild. I'm so my, happy for you guys. My first thought, A, I'm a little tired of Dragon Ball. Uh, I had a conversation uh, earlier today about this. I'm tired of Dragon Ball games just being the show events retold through a set of mechanics. Yeah. And I really want to see them break past that. My ideal setup for Dragon Ball games would be to do what they used to do with the movies, where they're not canon, but they're really fun individual stories that you can just go out and do. Do that with the games. Give me an individual story that has its own street its own stakes its own characters its own villains its own arc sometimes they can be you know characters that are related like cooler or you know super android 13 or whatever it be um using those examples of you can create characters that are somehow tied to other characters we know about but i think that they have abused that damn storyline of the of dragon ball z in particular and i'm tired of it absolutely so is at least nice that it's not doing that right it's just gonna be a fighting game yeah, I'm happy for y'all. Budokai used to be my jam back on the PS2. Um, I'm so out of Dragon Ball that I'm just happy that it's still a thing that people are are loving it still. Because it, you know. my immediate thought was, I don't know if the Dual Sense can handle my full adult strength cranking those fucking analog <laughs> sticks to win the you know you're uh, having a Kamehameha battle. You're like, oh, dude, fuck. <laughs> exactly. That's gonna cause a lot of drift issues that game. So tread lightly, Budokai Tenny. Tenkaichi. You know, one thing that people are going to have to think about that's going to be missing, the old Budokai games um, and Budokai Tenkaichi, they were known for having mini games as the loading screens. Loading screens won't exist anymore. That feature will be gone. That's what happens when you don't make a game since PS2. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, to that end, while we're talking about um, two Japanese yeah. studios, series, games, uh, Kiki comes in with a pretty deep question. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation here. So I hope you're ready to have a potentially difficult dis- discussion. Um, Always. He says, what do y'all think about the discourse currently plaguing Final Fantasy 16? Uh, and I decided to press to make sure that I knew which one he was referencing. And the two that I was fully aware of and that I think are getting the most traction was, of course, the JRPG terminology, apparently sure. having some issues, uh, but also uh, the diversity conversation around the yeah. game that has kind of been ongoing and looming to some degree since the main reveal for it. So with those in mind, he actually came back and said everything. Gameplay discourse, the JRPG term being offensive to Japanese developers (laughs) till this day. People feeling as though turn-based is the only thing that makes Final Fantasy a Final Fantasy game, a real Final Fantasy game, etc. So I think we got to kind of break this down a little bit. Yeah, Clearly there is a lot going on to play here. So we're going to look at our main pillars. We have diversity as one, gameplay discourse as two, uh, which I think is kind of in line with the idea of a uh, turn-based in making something a real Final Fantasy game. Uh, so I think they have three pillars. We have diversity, okay. JRPG, and then gameplay and how that plays into people viewing it as a real or not real Final Fantasy game. Yeah. So in That's order of cracking these, I think let's start off with what I think is probably the easiest one to just discuss. And it's the idea of long-running franchises and what their identity is. So the first thing I kind of want to look at is gameplay discourse and thinking about how people look at Final Fantasy and what they choose to give value as a real Final Fantasy game, at least insofar as the bubble of the internet is concerned. Um, So I've seen that you were kind of talking about Final Fantasy 16 being something that you're excited for and you're seeing here, but as far as far as I understand, you don't traditionally really have a relationship with the final fantasy series. No. Yeah. I'm such a weird PlayStation fan. Cause like there's some PlayStation ass PlayStation games that I just don't, I don't mess with. And final fantasy is one of them. Uh, so final fantasy for me, it was just never something I was, I had to say interested in, but just one thing led to another, like, you know, when you're a kid, uh, you could get one or one game one or game two, and I always just picked the game that wasn't Final Fantasy, and I maybe had to do with the numbers because I'm like I've missed out. Um, like, why am I jumping into ten just because uh, it's three pretty ladies? Um, <laughs> though that was a convincing argument for me back in the day. Uh, so I'm just gonna go play Unreal Tournament. Uh, or you know there were some that I got into. And not technically Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy characters like uh, Kingdom Hearts that I absolutely loved because it ditched that turn-based combat. So for me, uh, just strictly as a person that doesn't have a huge experience with Final Fantasy outside the MMO and with Final Fantasy VII Remake being the only one that I have beaten, mm-hmm. um, for me, this the, the gameplay that I saw... Is getting me into the door that is Final Fantasy. Um, because I do think that they're looking at, they're probably crunching the numbers and going, yeah, turn based is a, a popular genre for sure, but we think we got something here with this brand that is going to help revigorate it for the masses. Uh, I think they think that they have something really special with this formula uh, that it is worth changing up 
the quote-unquote Final Fantasy Formula 4. A lot of games change up the formula, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Kratos can't jump in 2018 and in Ragnarok. He's got shitty knees. But in (laughs) God of War prior, it's a hack and slash, you know what I mean? So to me, I think the difference here is not that we haven't seen games iterate or, you know, do something different. I think also Doom is a great example of like, that's not necessarily the game we know Doom being, but it is, it, it reinvigorated itself in such a way that it is what we think a modern Doom would play like. Um, I think it's, it's a drastic change. And that's what people are scared of the most is that people are scared of change first and foremost. So they have to do a lot of convincing. And I think what Yoshi P and the directors are trying to show is and by just at releasing these previews early is showing you how much confident they are in changing the formula. And by even just allowing a demo to be had two weeks before the game releases is such a smart move for them to go, look, we get it. This isn't turn-based, but we're showing you why this is going to be, why this is a numbered Final Fantasy that you're going to get into. I think this is a really good part to interject here because I think, would, would you agree at least that you've seen Final Fantasy here and there, right? Yep. But would you think that part of the reason that you feel the way you do about this idea of change and this idea of turn-based being something they're moving away from, in reality, as someone who's been a Final Fantasy fan since Final Fantasy seven was my very first one, and I played six and played eight, nine, and ten. I didn't play ten two. I, I fell in love with Kingdom Hearts and um it kind of went from there. Like I've played 12. I didn't beat it, but I, I played it. I played 11 online. Drastic change for that series in a, in a ton of ways. Uh, 13, I, I played sporadically across the series, but never finished any of the three. So this series has been, from someone who's like been a little more part of it, this series has long been known for constantly changing, right? Yeah. Like uh, even turn based, right? They're constantly changing with what a turn based game is, right? Seven's got active time battle where you got to wait for a gauge to come up. Twelve has got a version of that where it's real time and how you move, but you have to wait for your action bar to fill before you attack. And it's kind of like a weird hybrid. And then Final Fantasy VII Remake is a good example of a game that in in reality is a real time game, but there's turn based stylings within it where you can pause sure. the game and choose actions and. 15 was a real-time game that eventually added in the ability to pause between each action and semi-faux-turn-base it to a degree. So would you think that the discourse around people online have led you to – has reinforced a potentially even false narrative or just reinforced a dated narrative that Final Fantasy has long been turn-based even though it's not truly been turn-based since the PS2? In a a meaningful way. Yeah, I think, I think you're. I think you got something there because you're right. From what I hear from the fan base, is that there's always constant changes to the formula. It's never the. It's it's never the the same game almost twice. Um, So, to me, I, I think maybe that is something we are being pushed into this this realm of of maybe even thinking turn base as uh, as a more vaguer term than than what. We actually, or what fans actually know and expect from Final Fantasy, and it's not like 
to be real, if they get it wrong here, that Final Fantasy is dead. I think with PlayStation putting the marketing rights behind this thing, it eliminates a lot of that risk. So it's not like they can't make another one and go, okay, back to basics. And that be one of the key pitches for people to get people into it or back into it. It's like, Hey, listen, we learned, you don't like to flip in the air or whatever have you um, back to turn base. So yeah, I'm, I, I think it's one of those non-issues that Twitter or social media try to, 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 pin us up against each other and it's 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 not that for me well you know you you think about the disconnect between the bubble that is twitter and then the broader gaming sphere of people who've been final fantasy fans for a long time so you know this idea of something making something a real final fantasy game you talked about how as a kid part of what made it a little daunting is looking and saying whoa seven eight nine like well i've i've missed seven games i've missed eight games I think that the thing that a friend let me borrow seven. And as soon as I realized that eight was a completely different set of characters, all caution went to the wind. Cause it was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. 100%. I, so I can play every single one of these games. Every one is a different world, different characters, uh, different ideas, different. Uh, is it going to be future based? Is it going to be like high fantasy? Is it going to be kind of old English style fantasy? Is it going to be futuristic? You know, is it going to have a weird blend of the two? Is it going to be a tactics based game? Yeah. Final fantasy, in my opinion, is synonymous for constantly changing not only gameplay, but the whole point is that you tend to not even see the same characters. And if you do, it's because they say, well, this is 10, but this is 10, two or 13, two or 13, yeah. three, because it's like a sub series of final fantasy. Yep. And to that end, I think it's really, it should be an impossibility to pigeonhole final fantasy. They have gone out of their way with some of the sub games like final fantasy, crystal chronicles, uh, final fantasy crisis core, which is a seven product dirge of Cerberus is like a third person shooter. Final Fantasy game on PS2, they have done everything. And if yeah. you're saying right now and this time and this day and age is your time to say that because this game is real time, when Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy XV, two of the best-selling Final Fantasy games in the entire franchise, which were not turn-based, I think you're being a little disingenuous. Now, you can also clearly look at this and say, I miss the times when Final Fantasy was able to scratch my itch of a turn-based game with that branding and that name. But I think the best way for people to view this is that Square Enix has let that spirit live, and it lets it live in smaller studios, like the studios behind um, Bravely Default. Studio is behind Octopath Traveler Octopath 2. Octopath Traveler 2, which slaps, Triangle by the strategy. way. Yeah. Th- those games, if you called them Final Fantasy Octopath Traveler, there's nothing about that that wouldn't make it. The thing about Final Fantasy is it's just an idea. Yeah. And Yoshi P talked about every game's different, and every game is the best Final Fantasy they think they can make at that moment. And yeah. the great thing about that is Final Fantasy doesn't, it almost doesn't have an identity. It can be anything. Uh, Square Enix put out this uh, it's like a tech demo to show off some of their tech and it was like a futuristic thing where they had like a an android thing fighting off this weird spirit looking thing and it was very futuristic looking and I was like that could be a I was like that would be sick if they turned that into a Final Fantasy game because they can <laughs> there's literally yeah. nothing keeping it from happening uh, Final Fantasy 15 was a massive success despite plenty of issues and yet it got it went on to sell 20 30 million copies yeah. um, and 
tons of DLC and all sorts of stuff. So I think at this point, that's it's 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 a weak argument. It doesn't really go into anything, and all it is is a I feel left out of a conversation because I wish my franchise was this, and I can understand that, and I can feel with that, and I can even empathize with it. But your games exist elsewhere in Square Enix, and they just don't have the Final Fantasy naming. And you know what? Maybe one of these days soon, Square will go. We're gonna do a, we're gonna do a different style. Like I'm, I'm assuming what's happening here is people are really wanting a, a game like Final Fantasy X again, where they're pushing the boundary of 3D graphics and everything, and still doing all that, but then still being turn based. And that will, it'll happen. It, it will almost undoubtedly happen, but give it time. Let it do its thing. Every Final Fantasy game will be its thing. And as much as people love turn-based, it has grown to be a niche. And when you're doing a AAA level game, I'm assuming part of what's happening is that the people working at that level know that it's not going to be viable at that level. And I could be wrong and I would love to be proven wrong and have a very massively successful turn-based game. But I think numbers time and again have proved that that's just not going to be the case. Absolutely. So let them, let them serve both entities. Let them make their Octopaths and their Bravely Defaults and their, and their Dio Field Chronicles. Let them yeah. do that. And then let them take their biggest franchise, one of their biggest franchises in Final Fantasy and make sure that those games continue to sell Buku so that they can keep making those little experimental games that you might love so much. Um, so yeah, I just think no way to find no way to pigeonhole final fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and if you're saying that it can't be a real final fantasy without it, then maybe you're not a real final fantasy fan. Maybe oh, you're a final fantasy set. Maybe you're a final fantasy seven fan. Maybe yeah. you're a final fantasy eight fan. Maybe you're a final fantasy turn-based fan. But that doesn't make the people who are Final Fantasy 15, 12, 11, 14, doesn't make any of them less fans. Yeah. Um, all right, moving I'll along. I'll fight you in the streets if you say different. Let's go. Moving along, I think the next one to kind of tackle, because one thing I would say, the only identity that I really think matters is that Final Fantasy games always feel, in my opinion, and this is fair to put out there, I think the thing is that they always feel like even when they're about the West, like, you know, Final Fantasy 16 is a very Western driven game. It's looking at kind of European ideas and sure. this medieval kind of idea a very games of throning. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's trying to do that kind of look. So, but even when it is, it's like looking at Western media through the lens of Japanese culture and how they view it externally. And I've always liked that because it is interesting. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy seven is a very Western idea of a city and game and how things interact but you're seeing it through the lens of a Japanese studio. So with that in mind, the term JRPG being offensive is uh, first and foremost, you learn something every day. This is news to me. Yeah. I've been calling them JRPGs. My since I knew since, since I really understood what a genre was, you know, yeah, like final fantasy 10 and kingdom hearts one is probably when I started using the word JRPG. Sure. So first thing to talk about is the idea of, of something being offensive and and where that comes from and what that means. So I think first and foremost, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Yoshi P talked about the terminology of JRPG sounding demeaning because he felt like it otherwise Japanese-made RPG games and tried putting them into a separate category and that they couldn't just be RPGs. They had to be Japanese. And they took that as a stigmatization toward those games. And 
as someone who doesn't, you know, didn't have that lens and wasn't there, it is interesting to hear because I've lived an entire life of never really hearing it be used in a pejorative way. Right. But that doesn't mean that it can't be taken as such. Um, so it's it's interesting. Joe, do you have any kind of run-ins that you've done where... I'm so goddamn offended right now. <laughs> have so you ever heard upset. someone use it in a way where they like threw some stank on it? No, let me let me get let me put the serious hat on. So here's how I use how I categorize a JRPG or or an RPG in general, whatever Western to Japanese style games, right? Um, first, it, it's it's so I've had a lot of a learn a, a learning experience with you know people kind of bringing this up to me, and one of the posts that I made where it's just like. You know, we, the one thing that the games media does a lot is they're just like, Hey, let's take, for example, um, we'll make an article about like the lack of diversity in final fantasy, uh, 16. Right. And it's true. Like out of all the promo art, like you don't see any people of color in, in those trailers. Right. So it's a fair question to raise, but if you're going to raise that question, don't be afraid to ask it in front of those people. Right. Mm, um, don't yeah, don't point. just get the, the the press release. Do do the journalism thing. Ask the hard question at the press event. And I feel like a lot of people they'll they'll write their think pieces far and away from a press you know junket as it were uh, because they're afraid to get blacklisted and blackballed because at the end of the day content is king. So I want to just shout out to the the folks that did ask the hard questions there. Um, that didn't just go, eh, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll Kotaku, Kotaku this and save it for a, a, a slow news day. That said, when I think of a, a, a JRPG, I never thought of it as a negative thing. To me, I think of a JRPG the same I think of, you know, restaurants or movies even, right? Where, like, if I go into a McDonald's and there's you know, serving me sushi to me, I'm going to think that's a little fucked up. <laughs> I'm coming in here for, you know, for a burger, right? If I'm coming into an Italian restaurant and I'm leaving with a hamburger, something went dangerously wrong. Uh, so when, you know, we talk about culture, uh, it, it plays a huge part in, in just everything when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to art, when it comes to food, Everything, our culture and the differences in our cultures is what makes us so unique and so interesting as well. But what I've learned in this conversation is when I close my eyes and I think of a JRPG, I am thinking of something that is turn-based, right? I am thinking something that is, you know, has a party system. I'm thinking of something that has, you know, robust mini game mechanics or romance options, you know, mini games that are going to have me in for the long haul, a hundred plus hour stories, that type of stuff. When I close my eyes, that's what I think about a JRPG. And then I put it in the JRPG box, right? And I close it up and I, and I seal it away. That's what I'm thinking about. When I think of a JRPG, I'm thinking of Persona. But you may close your eyes and think Final Fantasy VII, right? Mm -hmm. We also have to be cognizantly aware of what we put in those boxes when we're thinking of something that we don't like about a JRPG and not make it because it's about 
you know, Japan or, or the Japanese culture, but maybe it's just a mechanic you don't appreciate. Because I think one of the most important things about a JRPG is the culture of Japan infusing those games. The thing about Eastern culture that is awesome, that it's always about we, us, instead of me and I. And you get that time and time again, sewn into these games of bettering your, your, your fellow man. And so to me, I never used JRPG as a way to demean Japanese people. So in, in, in a way, I was just like, come on, guys, what are we doing here? What a, come on. Like, is this, this must be a slow news day. And then I saw what they were talking about uh, through a G4 skit where they're talking about, and it's really, guys, it's like, it's pretty wild what they say in here and what they're able to do. It goes to show, wow, we have come such a far way because like they were like talking in Japanese accents. They were like throwing like, you know, Kim Jong-un uh, like in there with like, other popular like Japanese people. Like it was just, it was crazy what they were doing. And they were talking about how the, this game was just too Japanesey. Right. Um, and that's a term that I I've used and I, I I've heard thrown around where it's just like, yeah, this game's too Japanese for me. Well, what the, f- what the fuck does that really mean? Right. So, to me, I'm like, okay, I can definitely see where people toss around the word JRPG or toss around the word of like, that's eh, too Japanese and go, okay, but what is too Japanese, right? So like when I say we got to be careful about what we're putting in those boxes is we may be subconsciously putting in stereotypes in those boxes as well, right? So to me, though, I've never used the term JRPG in a negative way. And I will keep referring to those games as JRPGs um, or, or, or games that are, that follow that, that, that lineage as JRPGs. Uh, I could understand now why people go, yeah, I don't like that term because it should just be RPG. But again, the way I see it is we're approaching a future where we're going to see more South Korean developers, Indian developers, African developers, we're seeing a big blow up right now in Eastern European games. Uh, China in, in, our, in particular has been very big. China as well. Mm. So we're going to see what an Indian RPG, mm-hmm. how it looks, feels, and how that culture impacts the genre in really interesting ways. I think that that's where it starts to get to me. Like, I guess I have two utilitarian purposes for it. Yeah. Like I tend to use it as specifically like, okay, there are games that have these types of qualities tend to. And so even if it doesn't check every one of those marks, it checks enough marks to where the usefulness of being able to categorize it as a JRPG helps me understand where it fits within my head yeah. and the potential of me liking something about it. Because I do like what I consider to be JRPGs, but there's a level. Right. Yeah. And it's like, what what are the ideas that they're going? And sometimes I like it when they yeah. blend them, but sometimes I don't like it when it's too prominent of one thing. And that same thing could be said elsewhere. But I'm looking at that totally as JRPGs as being one more subcategory to help me categorize something. Because we like to, to, to conceptualize. Of course. And you see it in music where it's like genres in music are, are, are crazy. And realistically, people try and find ways to like, well, I'm actually, you know, uh, 
post uh, um, post hardcore. D- okay, d- just back up. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Realistically, you're some. You're just a, you're a version of rock or you're a version of metal. It's yeah. like, yeah, you can go into the weeds, and the weeds do help, right? If you say, I like hardcore music. Well, there's probably going to be a few bands that you think of, like, okay, post-hardcore, what do I have? What do I have? And then bam, 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 you got a couple yeah. title fight, bam, bam, you throw a couple fights out, a couple of uh, bands out there, and you've got it. And the same is true of games, right? If you say, um, and I see this happen with, and, and I guess that's what I mean. So as, as, as a descriptor, the only difference I'm finding is that you can use it to where you're looking at it and you're saying this set of things is something we've everyone's agreed is Japanese RPG, so that's what we do. Uh and how is that any different in, in this sense, right? You think of that and you go, well, that's not any different than saying it's an action RPG. It's an ARPG. Yeah. And you say, well, that helps me know that it's a type of RPG that is not turn-based focused. And instead, it is focused on me being in constant control of the character and combating in real time in a way that is more action-driven than you would typically see in a turn-based game. Yeah. And bam, you have a new subcategorization. So... When you think of it that way, it just feels like it's another distinction. But then you start to think about, well, can it clash? Like, well, what happens? Like, Forspoken is a Japanese-made RPG, and it's an action RPG. So is it an is it an AJRPG? Or, or is it just an ARPG? And then that starts to be like, well, I guess the Japanese part of it, I think the weirdness of it comes from the fact that one is this, is a descriptor insofar as uh, an idea. Action's a concept. Yes. Japanese is a culture and, and a place that people connect with on a more interpersonal level. You wouldn't consider yourself like people are like, I'm an action head. I love action movies. Yeah, but you wouldn't consider that like you wouldn't find a large group of people. Most people wouldn't that consider that to be a defining characteristics of who they are. And it gets it starts to get kind of weird. Like when you think about that, because I didn't. But as we've been sitting and talking, I've been thinking like, I mean, ARPG and then. OK, well, how does that blend in with JRPG? Because it, it can be an ARPG that's not made in Japan, or it can yeah. be an ARPG that is made in Japan. And at some point, does the Japanese moniker really matter? Um, I think the end of the day for me, I can understand that this apparently has been something that not everyone in Japan has, has agreed on and, and liked. And I can sympathize with that, and I never thought of it that way. Uh, but I'm a big intent guy. And I think that there's a lot to be said where I think if people have been saying JRPG in a loving way and not meaning it in any kind of way that's meant to try and act as a negative or to try and put something in a unfair box, I think that it's an unfortunate reality that it may be offensive to someone, but I didn't say it with the intent to be offensive. Yeah. And so from here, it's just a thing of, do you try and push past that? And do we try to eliminate the terminology of JRPG or do we live with it while knowing it's go ahead? Go ahead. Yeah. And, and not because it's, it's necessarily because you're, I think the one thing we're, we're kind of also hitting at is like words change words have meaning words also uh, become outdated and we might be running into a, 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 a point where it's like, yeah, maybe, Maybe we should drop it because it's no longer a good descriptor because you, like we forgot the elephant in the room that is from software from software is a Japanese 
you know, developer that is making some of the best RPGs on the market right now in, in Elden Ring and from software. They don't hit any of those boxes that we talked about. Yeah, they don't hit the average person doesn't think JRPG. To be fair to my use of JRPG, I, I do view those games as JRPGs. Yeah. But I think that that's also in the most utilitarian sense. My brain is it's an RPG. It's made in Japan, Japanese RPG. No, no negativity, no stink, just local. Like, where is it coming? What, where the people who are working on this game, what's their culture? Because that does impact the way the game turns yep. out. Like you talked about, it. when we eventually do get games from, you know, like, like we're seeing some of the games coming out of China, right? We're seeing like, um, Black Myth, Black Myth Wukong. It's yeah. very driven by Chinese culture and Chinese lore and myth. And, that's cool. And it will have some impact on it. But at the end of the day, can you really say that like turn-based is it? And a, if you want to, I guess you probably can, but turn-based is not inherently Japanese and being Japanese does not inherently mean that it's going to be turn-based. Yes. There may be a disproportionate amount of Japanese games that chose to be turn-based, but that's also because a lot of games were coming out of Japan at first in the resurgence of gaming. And so they set that pace. So so part of you feels like as much as you can understand, I think while there's some people that probably did give it that moniker as stink, I think sometimes it's people gave it like almost as like an homage for like, you set the pace, you did this. And this is Mm -hmm. like, you know, so when we see these mechanics, we think about the fact that this was really spearheaded in Japan. I I know know, like there's, there are several indie games that are like, this is inspired by the JRPGs of old. Right. And so it's like, it's again, it's to me, it's more like a a, a subcategory of a subcategory. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because even when we're talking about Polish developers, right. Again, Poland is becoming a huge scene. Eastern Europe becoming a huge scene in game game development. Witcher being one of them. You know, this is this is a game made by and crafted by a Polish studio about a Polish author's world. You know that culture. You could see it's enhanced by it because it's 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 literally their home turf. And that's, that means something. So to me, I, I'm right there with you. It's, it's about the intent, but I'm also going to change the way I use it. Cause there's been times where I'm just like, again, cause I'm not perfect. And I'm not claiming to be, and I'm not going to whatever, but like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's too Japanese for me. That's crazy. I'm not, I'm out. Well, what do I mean by that? You know, <laughs> yeah. is it because fair point. you should be able to ask yourself. Yeah. They're yelling a whole bunch of gibberish and, and shooting a laser beam out of their hand. Why is that weird to me? I'll get it because I see that shit all the time out of Iron Man. He's saying some wacky shit and shooting a beam out of his hand and I'm not thinking or thinking anything of it. So, you know, it goes back into my thing where, and people feel different ways. And I know this can be strongly viewed, but like, you know, I've always thought of like anime is a really good comparison point here because a lot of people would tell you like anime is very Japanese predominant right when you think of the term anime you think of japanese animation um mm-hmm. but i like to think of like you know when we talk about it as a subcategory i think if you look at what these things are and you think about what drives the thought processes behind them and what they're doing for me personally i've always kind of viewed avatar the last airbender as a anime yeah. and, and a lot of folks it's completely done by a western it was created by you know 
Western people and, and done by Western studios with some help of, you know, contracted studios. But the point being at the end of the day, why can't it be an anime an anime, but it depends on what you mean by anime, right? Are we just saying like, these are things that we expect from anime and it, it ticks those boxes or is there a cultural reverence for saying anime should be given the ability to be focused around Japanese created stuff because that type of animation was handled by them? And I don't know the answer, but I, I tend to think as long as you're not saying these things with negative intent behind them, most people are going to see the good in you. You know, we, we talked, we had a little interaction on Twitter uh, about the internet being the worst for people assuming the worst of you and yep. they don't come from a point of thinking that you may have meant nothing by it. You may have not even thought about that. And that doesn't mean that there's nothing. It doesn't mean that you're not wrong for saying it. Maybe you are, but did you mean to, and what do you mean? Mm-hmm. what did you actually think about that? Right. What was the, here's your opinion, right? Maybe we're talking about opinion. Here's your opinion. What's the meat of that opinion? You're looking at the surface. What is the meat of that opinion? What fuels that opinion? Well, how did I get there? And people don't give the benefit of the doubt online for that. No. Uh, so that's an unfortunate. Yeah. And again, at the end of the day, it, it, there's it's it's such a layered and it's such a layered conversation. And I do think we got to give people breathing room around it. And look, I I came into this conversation going like. All right, here we go again. Everybody's upset about something. To going, oh wow, no, 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 no. I I can see why people would be upset. They're right to 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 feel that way. But again, intense, important. And so, I, if you want to keep using JRPG, that's fine. And yeah. if you don't, if you're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I don't need to use it, and maybe it's it's outdated uh, for the sake of it being maybe offensive, or maybe just going, yeah, it's no longer a good descriptor of a of, yeah. of a of a game. That's well, fair. if nothing else, right, the, the people that – so it's because it is JRPG and the J stands for Japan, Japanese, um, the one thing that should at least be true, and I'm appreciative that for the most part it seems to be that people are allowing this, regardless of how you feel about the use and what your intent was, the people who feel like it impacts them and the Japanese people being a very clear point here, so Japanese developers, they mm. should have at least – the, the ability to express that, hey, this isn't something we were very comfortable with. And it does sound like from what he's saying, it's less of an issue now than it was initially. And that initially, it's hard to understand the motivation behind the otherization of clarifying it as a Japanese RPG. And is it because of negative motivations? And while we may all know now that we don't carry that intent, we can't say that part of that terminology being grounded up wasn't because they wanted to yeah. otherize and say, well, this is a JRPG. You know what you're getting into. Exactly. Like with, with, yeah. So, but they should be able to say, Hey, this is something that we either still view as, uh, you know, offensive or at one point in time, we didn't view it in the best positive light without being told that they're wrong because they have every right to feel the way they feel, just like we have every right to feel the way we feel and to say the words that we want to say with the intent that we want to give behind them. Absolutely. The last one and probably the most tricky one, um, diversity in Final Fantasy and I think it's an interesting conversation to come up now specifically. And I think it really goes to show a lot about how much marketing push Final Fantasy 16 is getting. I would tell you that Final Fantasy is not long known for 
being incredibly diverse. It just mm-hmm. isn't. Um, and I would honestly say that a lot of Square Enix games in particular are not known for being incredibly diverse in the sense of having things that you feel like are touchstones in reality. You know, like you can say Final Fantasy X is diverse within its own world because they have, you know, a guy that kind of looks like a, a walking, you know, uh, bipedal cat guy. Sure. And you have Waka, who's clearly like an islander kind of person. And so that's that's pretty good. You got women, of course, with uh, Yuna and Lulu and all those different people going in. And you, you have, I guess you have women bad guys. You have Unaleska and Seymour. You have all these different things. But they're diverse. They've always been diverse, in my opinion, insofar as they are diverse in fantastical ways. They're Mm. diverse in how they choose to show you the mix of people within this fake world. And that's easier said when you have games that have touchstones like Final Fantasy X or Final Fantasy IX with people like Zidane where he's got like a tail and you're like, okay, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but he's, I mean, you know, this is the world we live in. Um, but this game, because it's aiming towards something so much more realistic as 15 was as well, more realistic representation, less fantastical creatures in terms of what you're seeing as humanity within the game is more human looking driven, uh, and less fantasy. So with that in mind, why now is an interesting question. And it doesn't mean that the the comments of diversity is any less prevalent or less important because of it, but it is interesting that it's happening now and not even you know five years ago when twenty in twenty seventeen or whatever when Final Fantasy fifteen came out and had ostensibly excuse me ostensibly the same problem, um, and then secondarily. This is a conversation I'm always curious about with anyone who f- considers himself creative. Uh, and the same thing happened with John Garvin in Days Gone. Uh, this idea that people who are writing and creating and, and telling a story they want to tell, is it wrong for them to create something and create something within what they feel like they know and what they feel comfortable with and what they think up in their head? If for some reason it ends up not being diverse, is that is it wrong? And, you know, Days Gone got a lot of backlash for the same thing when, ironically, if you play more into Days Gone, there's a lesbian couple. There's plenty of colored people within that world and that game. Uh, There's plenty of women. You know, people were saying how it's just uh, white, you know, white male game, you know. And Mm -hmm. ironically, just... You know, the, the protagonist is not the only character that matters in any story, right? There, right? there are other characters that play into play. So it was an interesting conversation around that too. And I, I'm not going to say I can't have an opinion as a white person because clearly everyone can have an opinion and they should be able to have an opinion. But my opinion is clearly going to be skewed by the fact that I am white. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... And that's why when people bring up the thing right, of... Well, you see yourself in media, and I suppose that's true. I'm not trying to deny that. Of course, I see myself in media. I think the difference is, even if there's reason as to why the other people feel the way they do, I have never felt like, and the argument is because I've always seen it enough that I never had to worry about feeling it. 
I can play a game as a black girl and feel just as connected to her as I can anything because I want to connect with that character whenever I'm experiencing media. I don't, I don't tend to put myself, I'm not the character. The character is the character Mm -hmm. and I want to experience that world and their things as they are regardless of who they are. Right. Yeah. I don't play horizon and think of myself as Aloy. I don't, I'm not Aloy. I'm not a girl who grew up alone with only one person and who was called a a reject most of her life and was considered an outsider and a ginger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a ginger. (laughs) Why would I even want, and, and and I bring that up. Like for me, I don't, there's value in playing things that you do have touchstones for, but there's a lot more value for me personally to play things where I don't feel like I know them. I play yeah. near Automata. I don't know what it's like to be an Android and I don't want to spoil the story. So I won't go too much further than that, but to be an Android who's positioned, who is supposed to be keeping humanity alive as they stay safe on the moon, waiting for the day they sure. can return to earth. I don't know what that's like, but that's what makes it inviting and interesting. I've never been Deacon. I've never been a guy who rides around in a motorcycle group, you know, real rough and tough and has a bunch of tattoos and had this girl that, you know, a crazy event busted out and then she's missing and disappeared. Yeah. And you, as far as you know, she's dead. I've never had that, but that's what makes it drawing. So that's one side of the coin. But the flip side of the coin is what is the value of seeing yourself? And, Again, coming from being, I guess, ostensibly of the class of people who are privileged to have seen themselves in there, I don't like character creators in games typically. I want want to play a character someone thought of and wrote because character creators inherently mean the story can't be personal, as personal, because they have to account for you potentially being a red guy who looks like the devil from Cow and Chicken. (laughs) So... so I play off of that all the time. So, I mean, yeah. and I guess, you know, Chris is this too, right? And I, and I do, I, sometimes I have conversations with Chris where I'm like, you know, what do you feel? Like you, you are a person of color. This, you have skin in this game quite literally in a way that I can't. And yeah. I don't think my opinion is completely unimportant, nor do I think my opinion doesn't matter at all or whatever it be. I can certainly have one, but I think your opinion does carry considerations that may just not enter the brain of someone like, you know, being a guy, my wife tells me all the time, like some of the things I think about and worry about are things she would never even have thought to worry about because she's a girl and she just doesn't think about those things because it's a different set of things. And I don't think about the things that she has to worry about sometimes and that's okay. Yeah. So for you, I mean, you, what's your stance on this? I mean, I know that you brought it up and and how I I think you even said like you would like to see diversity, but I think going into the idea, what do you feel about the idea of diversity as far as it goes into the creative process? And I guess what I'm really asking is, should someone feel forced to write something in that they're not truly feeling just to meet that criteria? Or should it not be viewed that way by the creator? Should it be, you know what? I want a diverse world. So let me reach out and find other people that I can lean on in this creative process who can give me insights so that I can make characters that are like them. Or should the creative process just be true to what it is? Go with what what you're feeling inside. Create what you know. Write what you know. And as long as it's good, let the rest be damned. What are your thoughts? 
believe diversity was an old wooden ship. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting a bit for that one. Um, look, I, I, I'm kind of the same with you, right? I, some of my favorite characters of all time were, were masks and wear yeah. helmets, like the Master Chief, uh, like Spider-Man. I never understood why. When people were like, who's your favorite superhero? Um, I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I like them all, I guess. Like, uh, Iron Man's cool. I also like Captain. But, like, I never had, like, that strong, like, connection until into the Spider-Verse, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it made sense. Where Into the Spider-Verse is, a bla- is about a, a half-black, half-Puerto Rican kid who, you know, becomes his version of Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a scene... In that movie um, that I connected with, and it was something really simple of his mom's hooting and hollering in the kitchen. She's speaking Spanish, speaking like like English and Spanish, Spanglish a little bit. And he's running into the kitchen and there's a pot uh, on there and it's like, it's a a Spanish stew. And I could just, I notice it by just the potato chunks and the chorizo that's floating in there. He takes a sip and he runs out. And all of a sudden, I felt something I never felt ever in medium. Whereas it's like all of a sudden, I saw a character that would do something similar to what I would do in that situation as a as a Hispanic, as a Latino, as a Puerto Rican. Um, I saw an environment that was perfectly how I would think it. And all of a sudden, I was like, that's what this is. Yeah, that's why diversity is important. It's not the fact that I'll never be Aloy, unfortunately, but I know that there's characters that in that universe that people love, like Zoe is a great example, that vibe with her in a different way that means something even deeper than them because they look like them, right? Or they sound like them and or sound like someone they know. So it's always important when creating a world that there's a little something for everyone. Um, you know, it doesn't mean because Hollywood gets into this. It's like, all right, so uh, we're making a movie. It's in Harlem. Get me a white dude, a Puerto Rican gal, a black dude and uh, a Polish guy. And it's like, that's not if we're, we can't do it by filling a quota and checking it off. It has to come naturally so mm-hmm. a part of it is like yeah it doesn't it, it, in truth like lord of the rings very white films they're fantastic very white books very good they books are. yeah um but it shouldn't matter if we see a black elf right but some people made that an issue i'll definitely give you that right the, the flip side exists too yeah right? if, if it exists as it was written by tolkien where it's not really that's not the way it's written. Though it's also, interestingly enough, it's not not the way it's written. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> just, it's just ignored. That's the thing. Yeah. In a lot of ways, the whiteness of those films comes from the fact that he was a white guy who lived a white life. And this is very similar to the John, John Garvin story, right? Where he's talking about, like, I wrote a white character and a white guy because I'm white and I know like that that's the life I've lived. Like, I've not... Yeah. I don't, and I really truly mean this. If you are writing a project, depending on what the project is, I don't really think like, you should write like your version of something. Like, you know, all, 
all stuff is all fantasy, all fiction is painted by your experience through the lens of something that is clearly not realistic. That's the whole purpose of fiction. Um, and the fun of that is that you get to take the, you know, and this is a word that carries a lot of interesting weight because it got thrown around in some odd ways, but the actual idea of a lived experience, right? So like yeah. your lived experience is you. It's everyone has a lived experience and no one's is the same, Right. And with that in mind, that's what makes writing and creating fun. Like when you're writing a song and you're writing lyrics, you're like, this is, I've never really written a song that was 100% to the T, maybe once, maybe once, where it was me bleeding out into the paper without a doubt. It's almost always that I'm embellishing. I'm finding ways to view the song as a story. And I'm like, okay, well, in this story, this would happen. And this would be a little bit bigger than what actually happened to me. And that will create, and, and, but I can still think about the emotions about that and I can write into that. And so you think about all that. Go ahead. It has to, so one part of it is a shared experience, right? So like uh, a perfect example, right? Tolkien, um, yeah, he's a white dude who lived in a, a majority white like neighborhood, town, country, all that jazz. So he didn't get to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have to think about that because his readers also were white dudes, right? Where when and I know I'm painting with a very broad or very exact brush, but when we're talking about demographics changing, you know, drastically, drastically. The ability for a book to be drastically, you know, it's, it's much easier to read Tolkien it's, now than it was. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's now, it's, it's easier than ever to get a fresh perspective when you're building these worlds out. What do those worlds feel genuine or do they feel like they're portraying folks in the right matter matters? Lovecraft is a, uh, it has inspired my favorite game of all time which is bloodborne but mm-hmm. when he would he would describe anybody that wasn't white he described he described them as savages yeah and he was very openly racist and so when i think of you know miles morales miles morales was written by a white man but mm-hmm. his experiences he has two black uh kids yeah. and he wanted a spider-man that they could look up to and what and i like it, about it, that is right he's, he's leading his his experience right he is bleeding the experience of exactly. a mixed a mixed household, a, a mixed couple, and then he's yeah. he's thinking about the experience that he's sharing with these kids, and he's using that to fuel his fiction. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean is he's not pulling that out of his ass. He's looking at something that he has exact experience with, right? Yeah. And, and that's one of the interesting things. Like, right, white people don't exist in a vacuum. I grew up up until. Uh, the seventh grade, I, I basically had no white friends. Yeah. And so a lot of my younger things that were driven by the fact that I had primarily black and Mexican. And I say this word knowing that some people view it offensively, but that's literally what they called themselves. So it's, it's what we did. They were, they called themselves gypsies, right? Mm-hmm. And they lived around there. And that was primarily the school that I went to. Uh, I lived out in the country. It was the closest school to us. And that area of our town is primarily black and Mexican. And, you know, that's where we are. And, and, yeah. and gypsy families as well. So that's what I grew up around. And so there's times where I notice some of the people that I, like some of my friends now, some of my white friends, where I'm around people or I'm around situations and I can tell that they've never been around it. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I'm like, ah, here's a weird experience that I got 
just because of how my life happened to play out. Yeah. And it only happened because I was surrounded by different people. So that's a great thing. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I could go and I could probably to some degree, like if I say right now, if I were to write fiction, I would have because I think of people in my head, right? Like that's the big thing. A lot of fiction is fueled by people, you know, you create a character because it's like your version of someone that, you know, and you exaggerate some of their traits, their best sure. traits, their worst traits, and you, can you push them out? So I have all sorts of people I grew up with and I have a wealth of people who do look like a very broad variety of people. Yeah. And that is great. But for people who don't, I don't really think that I would look at that and, and say, you're doing something wrong because you're not, putting this in and I'm glad that yeah. it seems like that's where you're coming from as well. And it, exactly. It, it can't be like, I just, I'm putting this in here because uh, PR told me to, it, it has to come from a genuine place and it should come through a genuine place and to you'll me. Feel it. Yeah. You'll feel yeah. it to me. When I think of game of Thrones, which, you know, this, this is, you know, final fantasy 16 is inspired by some parts. Um, I think about, uh, Oh my God, I think they're called the, the, I'm, I'm confusing Harry Potter lore for a second, but the the, <laughs> the, the Dementors Dorns, they were everywhere. Yeah, the Dementors <laughs> that's the worst part about prison. Um, but like like Pedro Pascal's character and their culture, they're representing their, the the Spanish kingdoms, right? That's, oh, okay, yeah. That's how George Railroad Martin thought of it, and <laughs> they're not walking around going, you know, like doing like like I don't know. They're not. They're not all talking like like my abuela. They're 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 talking like like. Spaniards would, right? Yeah. They they have an accent, but it's not over exaggerated. You know, they're not. There's not a mariachi band surrounding them. It's grounded. It's realistic. It it feels like um, there's a respect owed to the culture rather than going. What do I think a Spanish uh, person likes? You know, yeah. and 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 sure. doing that. Uh, so to me. That's what it is. When we're when we're approaching something, it has to be genuine, but it also has to be approached with respect, rather than um, here's a very you know surface level observation. So when I take a look at the Final Fantasy game, right, to to get back to this point, um, and I go, oh yeah, that's oh it's, that's a weird choice because the gaming industry has become so much more diverse and aware as well which it does seem like it is a bit of a miss, but I'm still buying that game day one. It looks great. I'm in for it. Um, I, I, you know, I can't summon lightning from a sword, so I'm into being Clive, but you know, I can also be aware of like, yeah, that was a unfortunate miss because I know that there are, you know, so many, uh, black folks that take after so much. Um, you know, we talk about cultures converging, you know, Black culture and Japanese culture, man, they 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 blend so well with each other and complement each other so well. And when I think of things like manga or I think of things like anime or anime, why did I say anime like that? <laughs> you know, I think of people like Michael B. Jordan, who who just made a successful movie with Creed Three, going, yeah, this is in this is inspired by like was it Naruto? Like yeah. a lot of this. Like I think of people like. um you know, like like the movie Nope, right? Like Jordan Peele, he was just Wait. like, I wanted to do the Akira slide, so I made a scene where <laughs> Kiki Palmer does the Akira slide. Like, like so good, it's so good. So like, th there are just so many things that, to me, it it does feel like a miss, and it's like, 
there was an opportunity to to have someone here that could have made the cut. You know what I mean? That could have that that could have fit. But this is the creator's vision. They also get to create the thing that they want. And if mm-hmm. sadly to me, sadly, if that means there's no people of color in here, all right, then that's what it is. But yeah, um, it's also called Final Fantasy, where we're summoning phoenixes in the air. So I don't feel like that's like. To, I don't think anything's lost if we added uh, one person to be like a Puerto Rican guy. I don't know. So no, I, I, I understand agree, both yeah. sides. I, I I totally understand because we want we want to create a better medium that we could see ourselves in and also each other in. Mm, and we also yeah. got to respect the writing process as well uh, because sometimes the creative process gets in the. It, the it, sometimes a creative process, things get in the way of it, like the color by numbers, right? And that's yeah. the, that's the problem. It gets I, overly produced, and, and you, you go, feel that in every fiber. It when it's like actually that. made that way, you feel it. Yeah, it's, it's too obvious. It's like okay, yeah. it, it, no one made this with care. They tried to make sure that they fit yeah. every type of person in. Real talk. It's like in the mid two thousands. It's like everybody needs a sassy gay friend in a sitcom. <laughs> Yeah, and now like you're like, well, that's not like actually how gay people operate, and we're seeing like awesome queer characters and things. Like I'm watching right now a, a show called uh, Sh- uh, Shrinking. Right, it's fantastic. Oh yeah, with Jason Segel, right? Yeah, well, so good. Um, he has a gay best friend in there, and he's gay, and he's a bit flamboyant, but it's not. He's not a typical, you know, stereotyped gay person he's, he's not will and grace because that was like every exactly. show was like modeled themselves after will and grace exactly <laughs> he's yeah. he's a person with feelings thoughts and you and you care for them and you could see their struggle with you as well right sure. so like you know they have to feel like people when you're writing a character it yeah. has to feel genuine and you have to make resp- you have to do the research as well again george railroad martin does the research game of thrones is about what the war of roses and uh european or 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 british history and a lot of that when when we talk about the outside nations when they bring in like spanish culture he's talking about okay so what did spain look like during this time period and he's doing the work to make it to make it so so to me it's all about it's all about having the creator create what they want but it is also fair to critique it if it's again in the in the age of 2023. If all I'm seeing is a bunch of white dudes, all right. Well, that's a bit of a bummer, but I'm not going to yeah. score it negatively because of that. Yeah. Unless it's just like, hey guys, we're going to the rally afterwards. Like, whoa, which one? What? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, no uh, rallies. It's a, it's a it's a southern restaurant with bomb right. French fries. Don't okay. worry about it. <laughs> and they're like, oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So like to me, it's that's that's the importance is. You know, I believe diversity is important in things. I want to see everybody see something in 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 a piece of medium because I know what that feeling is for the first time in twenty plus years. Um, you know, there was problems with Joel being, you know, uh, you know, Hispanic in the show. It's like why? It's like well, because he's what, but like okay. And look, he's a fantastic Joel. So again, and there's also another level of like. Ellie's character, you know, Ellie, Ellie is spoiler queer. And so is the person portraying Ellie. 
So it's like they they get it a little extra. So yeah. to me, it's about maybe as I'm workshopping it in my mind, it's about the creator going the extra level for fans outside of their own purview. Yeah, which if they choose to uh, to partake in is 100% great and supported, sure. and I think that's great. Like, you know, just just for the th- sake so of so there's out critiques there, on both sides too. Like 100%, yeah, yeah. And Spider Verse, just to throw this out there, Spider Verse is one of my favorite films of all time, Absolutely. and I'm not black, I'm not Puerto Rican, uh, I. It doesn't matter. That movie is phenomenal. I'm glad okay. that you had that extra level of, of thing in there. But, you know, it is a really interesting thing for me to hear like, oh, you think of that. I mean, yeah, that's there's an extra level of, I guess, you probably are more familiar with the actual suit. But I think of myself, I like that because I think a lot of people could see themselves in Miles, whether they share anything with him or not yeah. in that like what they share with him might be that they they go outside, they, they go outside their room and they they grab it. But you have an extra layer with it, right? Like exactly. I think of, I'm like, that's exactly what I'd do. I'd run by, you know, you're in a rush, you're a teenager, you live a busy life. Your parents are trying to take care of you. And what do we do as teenagers? You do the bare minimum to make your parents think that you're going to be okay. So you go, you grab some food, and you get going, you go and yep. your life's more important. So, but you get that extra layer. But to, I guess to finalize my point on uh, for specifically how I feel about Final Fantasy 16 and the idea around uh, diversity in any form of media, I think the solution is, like you said, it should never be color by numbers. And I think the the danger of treating the conversation with not the right gloves for it is that you push creators when you mm-hmm. overly criticize when they don't do it. You push creators into feeling like the only way to still interact and operate within the creative market is to color by numbers so that they don't have to worry about this next time they create. And I think that only leads to less inspired and less, you know, realistically thought out and created stories and characters because you start to worry about external forces and external pressures. Absolutely. My solution that I, and I really think it's the best overall solution is we need to do everything we can to remove any barriers that may exist. And I would look and say that there are very few barriers, but someone else may disagree. And I'd be glad to at least have that conversation and hear it out. But as many barriers as possible moving out and to inspire more people who are of the people that they feel like are not represented enough. So people who may be Puerto Rican, people who may be black, people who may be any form of Latin descent. You can be maybe Japanese people, Chinese people, whatever it be. If you're, you know, if you're an atheist, if you're a Christian and you don't feel like you see enough of that, if you feel like you don't see enough of your sexuality, push. And this isn't me saying that every single person has to do this, right? If you're gay and you want to see gay people, people in video games you don't have to go and make that game but if we try and create a series uh, uh, i guess a platform a, a series of events where people who are those things could feel inspired to create and can find ways to get supported to get lifted up to creator status yeah. then you see those things in a natural and genuine way that you can connect with more often by nature of there being more of that in the creative field conversely Absolutely. the people who try and immediately criticize anything will go, Oh, well, this is full of this people. It's gotta be that they're coloring by the numbers. Uh, you gotta let that go. You've got to be willing to let things that are diverse be diverse just because they are not because someone felt pressure and you've got to let things that aren't diverse be not diverse, not because they purposely excluded someone, but because they genuinely made something that they thought was 
in their head, this is their child. Just because they didn't think about exactly who you are does not mean they have hate towards you, ill will against you. It's not that. If we can let both of those things happen simultaneously and stop criticizing every time something does anything from both sides, uh, we'll be in a better place. Because Absolutely. at the end of the day, while there, I understand, you know, are you a character purism as an idea, right? You talked about Joel and Pedro and how they added that and how Sarah is a, uh, a mixed character child if i'm not mistaken in the show spoiler alert in case you didn't know i'm not watching the show oh really no and not for any strong reason i don't have enough time i just recently played the remake my wife is not like she i told her if she's interested i will watch it with her no problem but i don't have enough personal drive to watch it because i i know the story very well and so i'm sure it's full of wonderful performances and everything but at the end of the day it is at the end of the day, it is just a, another telling of a very similar bone-structured story that one day I may watch, but it's not okay. at the front of my list. But when people do that, like, you know, I have my own things. Like, I've been pointing to it a lot lately, but Velma, uh, the HBO mm. Max series, has gotten a lot of flack for people because there comes a point where you have to say the crossroads is – what is the value of a character? What is the value of what you look at in a character? And how much can you pull and push and stretch that and change things before you start to lose the character? And all you have sure. is a visual and a name that match this person, but otherwise it's not them. And I think Velma was a really big example of that because whether or not it's good or bad, I think the people, the problem people had is you've been watching Scooby-Doo your whole life and you know the kind of person that Velma is and Daphne is as a character. And suddenly they're not those things. And suddenly they're not those things. So I think that there comes this thing of where you look and you go, okay, well, Velma is Indian, if I'm not mistaken, in the show because it was mm-hmm. modeled after Mindy Kaling. Uh, and you go, okay, maybe that's easy enough to let go. Her being, Her color doesn't matter. But what does come into play is that when you couple that with her being really snarky and snappy and kind of overly playful it's like hold on that's not velma velma wouldn't right. be on the velma wouldn't be on the phone with a ghost face killer making jokes about something that's not who velma is like yeah. that's closer to daphne maybe but yeah. okay so why did you why did you make this character velma and at what point have you lost who velma is as a character and all you've done is given her wardrobe and her name to a new character that has different motivations and different personality traits and then you gave it that and so i think people look at that with joel and and with sarah and they look and go well hold on wait a minute i've seen other times before where changing this one aspect is is indicative of changing other aspects with no care and that doesn't have to be the case right i'm i'm fairly positive that most of what's been done i know one thing in particular about the last of a show um that i saw a scene out of context, but it doesn't matter because I feel like the scene, even in a vacuum, there is no way you can convince me that that is Ellie. I won't, we, we can talk about it more after the show. I don't want to spoil for anyone who's watching, but I thought it was a very weird character choice. And uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. But there is, you know, the, oh, she's uh, Ellie. <laughs> I had no doubt in my mind. Our earlier show, just, and it's, it's, and it's the only thing, right? And if it's the only thing, it's not a huge deal, but I think it's, gotcha. I think it's an interesting creative choice and uh, you know, they have the freedom to do with their characters as they will, but is what it is. All right. Now that we've got that one pegged down, 
Uh, I, I think we kind of, uh, I think we may have solved the world's problems. I'm kidding. I but that was an in-depth one. So yeah. uh, thank you for joining me on that. I mean, a lot of weird discussions and I really do appreciate that. Um, I love Saul to death. He's one of my best friends. Still yeah. see him multiple times a week. I think that that's a conversation that gets taken a lot less seriously if it's made by two white guys. Even yeah. if we, even if we got to the exact same point that me and you just <laughs> did, there is the fact that there is not that other thought process in here. So I really Absolutely. enjoy having Chris and you and people who I feel like I can be comfortable with, who I can bounce these things off of. And we can really take a second for me to learn something for you to learn. This is everyone who's involved in this from a real, truly creative and constructive place is going to walk away having learned something about the other person. And also, if there's something you want to add, put them in the comments. We want to know. I, I, I always say, I always say, like, there's perspectives that I don't, I don't get. I'm always, always open to the yeah. dialogue. I'm not taking it as a personal attack. I'm, I'm always yeah. taking. Like, it's a learning experience, you know. Yeah. Last week, Chris had a, and I mean, and I think he was being serious about his own hangups with it. Um, but we had Landis, one of our longtime listeners, comment uh, because. We were talking about Goodbye Volcano High, and Chris had mentioned that he felt like there was just something furry-ish about it. And I made the joke about him kink-shaming, and it, it led to the point, though, that when I, when I think about furries, right, and I think about what that means, and I think about how it's represented and how I've ever interacted with it, it's always through the lens of it being somehow sexualized. Sure. And I don't think about it in any other way because I've not interacted with it in any other way. And so Landis came and started talking about, and from what I took away from it, and Landis, please feel free to, to tell me more or, or whatever it be, but as all things are, it's a spectrum, right? It's, yeah. it's essentially, it's really just people who are fans of anthropomorphized, you know, animals and characters. Stuff, and I'm man. a huge fan of that, right? A, a Sly Cooper, I love. Dope. And I love animated movies with anthropomorphized characters. Mm -hmm. I want to go see the new Puss in Boots so bad. I'm I just have not been able to. Things. Yeah. It looks Dude, phenomenal. Dude, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's fucking good. I'm telling you. Yeah. So I, I do. I love that, right? And and so to that, it's like I found because of someone who is willing to just reach out and say, hey, the the view that you just, you know, the, even though I accidentally perpetrated, like I, I, right. I perpetuated it. Whether or not I, you know, I didn't intend to. Sure, that's that's how it goes, right? Media gave me this idea. I continued on it, and you know, the jokes about kink shaming are still whatever they are. It's still funny yeah. to to mess around with that, in, in my opinion. But it is really nice to actually think about it and think. Everyone gives this group of people a bad rap, mm -hmm. and I can tell you right now that up until that comment, I've never i I had zero understanding of it. And I know somebody I taking the opportunity to just say, hey, this is the flip side of it. This is mm -hmm. what it can mean. It's truly helpful to yeah. just my own worldview, right? Now, now when someone talks about furries or if, if I see someone in a fursuit, I have a very different perspective of than I would have just a week ago. Sure. All due to and truthful, I'll have the same reaction and then have a deep thought. You know? Yeah, like and that's okay, reaction. right? Because that's a step, it's a step in the right. right direction. Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm getting there. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, but yeah. learning is all we can do, man. Uh, you know, my, exactly. my daughter, my daughter being as young as she is, you know, she's seven. And we constantly talk about how, like, you never stop learning. You yeah. you literally never stop. There, There's never a time in your life where you're too old or too far, anything. You can't even be too far gone. You can always learn 
mm-hmm. you can always change the way you feel about something, the way you act in regards to something. It yeah, just takes that first step, and it takes a bunch of very small steps after that, and eventually you can get somewhere. So yeah. I, I really appreciated that. Um, so we have more news with Jedi Survivor oh God, on okay. the horizon. Oof. Game director Stigus Musen has come out to imply that the series will be back at least one more time. Speaking with oh, IGN on their unfiltered series, he states that before the first game shipped, sequel discussion was already happening at developer respawn while continuing to say that he quote, always wanted to see this as a trilogy end quote, uh, while commenting that a third game would be safe to assume to be made in unreal engine five instead of, four as the last two games have been made um, let's see man i keep wanting to call you chris and i know that you keep hearing right. but it, it is what it is I, it, i'm learning that this is a habit for me joe yes you were talking yes, about eating as a star wars fan yeah there we go <laughs> there you go <laughs> uh, you were talking about eating as a star wars fan yeah are you super excited for survivor uh immediately once i saw that there was a limited edition i didn't even know what came inside of it i pre-ordered it <laughs> 300 dollars I love that kind of dedication. Bam. To be fair, I'm sitting here with a life-size replica of oh. Isaac Clark's helmet that glows, and God I spent tons I of money thing. on it. So point yeah. being, I understand. I understand deeply. <laughs> yeah, make all of them. Uh, Cal is so beloved in, in, in the Star Wars fandom, we want him in shows. We hey, want yeah. him in movies. Let's do so, this. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever, What's the hashtag? We've got to share it to the audience so they can share it. Um, you got to create it. There's no hashtag. You have no movement. How do you think? Oh, how do you think release the Snyder Cut came about? There was a hashtag. True. Damn it! <laughs> Let's do the cow cut. Let's do that. Hashtag the cow, the cow cut. cut. No, just the cow cut. The cow cut. Uh, well, no, wait, no. You say it fast. It could. <laughs> you know what? It's 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 twelve thirty at night. I don't know. <laughs> that, it's a fair point. Every Let's time, keep going. Every time we get crazy on the show, we just let people know how late it is at night for recording. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, anytime we that go, we're doing we the show, I just, time. It's great. just keeps going. Yeah. No, um, I'm, I'm all in. Give, give me this. All of it. Did you have any hangups on the first game? Like any complaints the that you hope to awful. see immediate? Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Uh, I love that he's not wearing ponchos. That's a great fix. Um, yeah. No, the beard, great, great choice as well. <laughs> he looks, he looks good now. He's, he's looking, he's looking good. Uh, before he, he looked, I don't know what they were going with the poncho look. I really don't. But no, other than the map uh, not being great, that was the best Star Wars game ever made. So let's keep making them. Ooh, that's strong words. I do quite love it. But nostalgia tells me that the Force Unleashed is just, it's too good. I mean, I, it's, also, it's also up there. And then sure. also, you know, you have both of the Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2. Yeah. The problem is, is that there's actually a lot of very good Star Wars games, and then there's also a lot of very mediocre really? Star Wars games. Yeah. Terracossi Arena, all of it. I get it. That's that's the life we live in. Question from Jehudi MD, one of our patrons. He says, has the game studio fallen out from your grace, even though they are doing great in general? And he points at Insomniac being his <sighs> since their last batch of games. He says Marvel-related specifically. They have not held his interest. Um and I, I kind of thought about this because Chris is a big Respawn fan. Yeah. But Jedi, um, whatever it was called, <laughs> Star Fallen Wars Order. Jedi Fallen Order. Thank yeah. you. Um, didn't really click with him. And he never ended up beating oh, wow. it. And, 
you know, I, I kind of think about it in that way. So it, it's a good time while we're looking at a singular developer like Respawn. Do you feel like any of them have kind of slowly but surely fallen out of your way? Uh, rest in peace, Blizzard. This is not because of the Activision Blizzard deal, but because I've, I, I, I fell out of love with them. Um, I don't know what happened between 2016 and now, but I, maybe maybe it is with all the news that has come out of that studio. It makes me so sad that they're not pumping out the games that I once loved and that the, the games that I did love were created under such hostile uh, experiences. That said, um, the other one that comes to mind is Nintendo. Nintendo, man, y'all are, y'all are something else. Because one minute I, I love you, the next minute I hate you, the next minute you hit me and I'll thank you for it. But um, <laughs> yeah, if it's not Metroid, I don't care anymore. I don't know really? why. If it's not yeah. Metroid or the Mario movie, I cannot get excited for Tears of the Kingdom. Can't. Yeah, I've seen nothing that gets me excited. Uh, though I have it in my fantasy league, uh, uh, fantasy critic league. Oh, but the one hundred percent, it's going mean, to be really well. I mean, it's going to do really well, but I have no interest. <laughs> I think but, one that comes to mind for me, and I think um, really Blizzard's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. And I think a large part is because games have taken so much longer to make. And then they started shifting to things I have no interest in that are doing really well. Like okay. Overwatch 1 and 2, I have zero interest in. Same. But I'm super excited for Diablo 4. Yeah. But it's like I've had to wait to actually be super interested in a game from Blizzard since Diablo 3. And, you know, StarCraft and is pretty much it. dead. It's like, yeah, okay. You're, yeah, like I'm super excited for Diablo 4. It's just they haven't released anything. It's so goddamn long. That's just like, okay. (laughs) All right. You're there. You're great. I guess it's been a while. I have a weird answer for this that I know a lot of people are going to be like, huh? But I also know a few people may actually agree with me. Um, Bioware. I think Bioware at one point in time were such an incredible developer. And then ironically, I think they had a slew of games and, I just feel like they've kind of just started resting on their laurels. And interestingly enough, the only Bioware game I've liked at all in recent years is the one game that everyone else hates. And that was Anthem. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying Anthem is without issue, but I think Anthem had an interesting enough story. I mean, it it at least didn't do the Destiny 1, right? It it at least had a story, and it tried to tell it. I think it had really great gameplay and a lot of promise for continued support, and it was just marred by arguably and just realistically lies about what the game was going to be. Um, A bad support in the long run, and it didn't help that EA promised to give it Anthem 2.0 and then just shit the bed and didn't let it have its No Man's Sky moment. But I have zero interest in them returning to Mass Effect. I have zero interest in them returning to Dragon Age. I didn't like Dragon Age Inquisition. I don't think it's a bad game. It just didn't strike for me. Dude, you're you're speaking to my soul right now. Yeah. I I haven't and I didn't play Mass Effect 3 and I don't really have a good I don't have a good answer for why, if I'm being honest yeah. with you. Yeah. The last game I enjoyed from BioWare besides Anthem was Mass Effect 2. Same. Same. So, I get it. I get it. I mean, you know, it's like he says with Insomniac. I mean, clearly everyone's loving those games, but so it's like yeah. me and Zelda. I haven't been excited for a Zelda game since 
a link between worlds. Hot damn. <laughs> for a new game. You know, for like a new Zelda game. Yeah. Um, I guess Link's Awakening remake was, I was a little hyped, but it's a remake. You know, it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm talking new. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Interesting. Look at up next. Sony is looking to have to pay refunds as Australian courts rule that EA's popular FIFA Ultimate Team game mode constitutes a form of gambling, given the random nature of the reward for buying packs. The damages for Sony, despite not being the publisher, is to refund 338 pounds and 26, whatever the equivalent of cents is. <laughs> pence. It's uh, pence, sir. Thank you. This think. will likely form some precedent in the area, which will be interesting to see play out as many countries have for years expressed concerns with this type of content. But somehow they've largely gone unchanged all this time. So we might start seeing specifically territorial or regional variants on some of these games where they can't do that to penetrate that market. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see. Then he make it makes you wonder, right? Like, so if we start seeing Australia actually change and make this and they start doing that, where's the domino effect? Once one country sees it work and sees it go through, who's to say the next country won't go. Nope. Let's go. And then Nope. Let's go. And I, you know, I struggle with this because I don't like that type of uh, thing. And I don't interact with it, but I would be lying to you right now if I didn't tell you that I literally right here beside me about two packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards the other day. It's the exact Mm. same thing. The only difference is, is that this holds value in perpetuity. Yes. As long as there is interest in this and it physically exists, it has some value and that is why i don't have any value in online card games it's why i would never buy game like i never buy cards in something like uh, hearthstone marvel because, snap yeah it's like i just can't yeah. like you're not going to get money for me for something i don't own yeah. but yeah. i will buy card games and even take the gambling chance opening packs is fun because you don't know what you're going to get yeah but you know i i at the same time i feel like the problem here is children. The problem here is, oh yeah, always, man. Because I honestly feel like any adult should be given enough rope to hang themselves if they please. Sure. It's not for me to say whether or not someone should be able to buy FIFA Ultimate Team Packs, even if I ultimately think it's a bad idea. I will not be the person to tell you that, that you can't do that. It's your money. Do what you will with it. Um but you know what? Your government and wherever you live can say what you can and can't do. <laughs> so good luck to you if it impacts you at all. <laughs> you have any thoughts on this, Joe? No, none whatsoever. I'm I'm kind of the same with you, man. I don't I for the most part, like the digital trading card, microtransaction type of stuff, n- NFTs, you know, Dr. Disrespect loves them. I don't. I think they're re- <laughs> I literally think they're one of the dumbest concepts in the world uh that may, that have very little actual useful utility i would say that i don't think that like the concept of an nft in and of itself i it's fine i get it i think the implementation of yes. nfts as a market stupid. stupid and the way it's been done as the way it's been done so far has been dumb yeah, ignorant. <laughs> yeah. Just, I see no way in which it will work, and I think it's showing. Elon will show us. Not going to happen. So we'll see. But ugh. 
I guess I didn't put that in the news, but Square Enix's president is stepping down. Uh, so for anybody who was worried yep. about Square and NFTs, maybe the new president coming in uh, will correct course on that ship. If you are into NFTs and were hoping for them in Square, I have to tell you, maybe it's correcting not a whole lot of stuff over there because it's <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, they're an interesting, very interesting publisher. Yeah, they make some of my favorite games of all time, and they also make some of the craziest decisions I have ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Maybe Bizarre. this shakeup is what's needed. Uh, next up, AMD have revealed that Sony became their largest customer last year, hot off the back of increased PlayStation 5 stock and continued interest in the console, accounting for 16% of the company's revenue. I that's do. just a, that's a humble brag for a Sony right there. They're doing real mm. well putting out numbers and that leads us to our final piece of news uh, and i think joe y'all probably covered this on y'all show yep. because y'all record slightly different but playstation have revealed a collaboration with lebron james for a limited edition custom dual sense and console cover as part of its playstation playmakers initiative this marks yet another collaboration for the two as lebron was also in the ads for god of war ragnarok the pair of accessories will be available for pre-order later this year for any interested and I kind of wanted to use this as a moment to talk about what I think has LeBron been Sony's time. continued failures in offering any meaningful way of custom consoles, custom accessories that really push the, the envelope. And part of me th- looks at this and goes, so LeBron James gets to make a custom console cover and gets yep. a custom dual sense. And yet your own first party title in God of War Ragnarok just gets controller. No plates. And your big third-party partnerships like Hogwarts get a controller, no plates. What is going on? Why did you even design the PlayStation with removable plates if all you're going to sell is other colored plates? You are... uh, Two generations have gone by now. And from the PS3... It started with Xbox having far more interesting collector's editions or, you know, special edition consoles like the dude. Do you remember the R2, the R2-D2 C3PO? Oh, we had it. Are you Star Wars me? Xbox 360? It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's sick. Mm-hmm. It's way more interesting than anything Sony has done. And they've yeah. continued that with the they had that with the Gears of War Xbox 360 that they did. They had the gouges in it. The Halo 3 Gears, I mean the, whole, the Halo 3 one that they did for 360. Moving on, they had the Gears 4 and Gears 5 Xbox um, and Xbox One and Xbox One X, which were beautiful. The Gears mm-hmm. 5 Xbox One X that had the like it had like an ice thing with like a skull set in behind and it really looked like it was under ice. Incredible looking. Yep. And Sony was printing the Leviathan axe in flat <sighs> shiny gloss you know what I mean? Like no texture the Leviathan axe on the system. It's... They're so bad at limited editions guys. So bad. Now that said though Again, so bad. The Vader PS4 is disgusting. It's so so low effort. Um, <laughs> the only the only limited I liked was the 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 Spider Man one, and even that, it's like cherry red Spider Man logo. They had a few, a few, few. I would just, even if you're not a fan, you should look up the Monster Hunter World PS4 Pro. All right, it is slick looking. The Destiny Taken King PS4. Beautiful. Um, is it? Gorgeous, if you have not seen it. It is a beautiful console. Uh, and then I really feel like they kind of turned the page oh, yeah. right there at the end because The yep. Last of Us Part 2, when they came out with, yep. had embossed 
the fern was embossed into it where you could feel it. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They have their moments of uh, like the Metal Gear Solid one's dope. They have their moments. Kingdom Hearts but, 3 one, also very in depth. Let me see this one. Crazy limited. And then I think like their, their numbered ones they did, like the 20th anniversary that I have, the 20th anniversary PS4 is beautiful. But it's simple and it's, yeah. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, it's good. It's got the two, you know, the, the 20th anniversary logo pattern of two zero triangle square XO. Um, and it was really beautiful. I like that one. And then I had the 500 million PS4 Pro that they did that was Ooh. like the see through purplish color. It was yeah. really cool. But, yeah. you know, few and far between when I've seen a handful. And that continues to be said of the Series X. Far more interesting custom consoles. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, this collab is important. Um, PlayStation is really going big with its marketing budget this year. It is it is really impressive what they're doing. And partnering up with celebrities, as much as you want to eye roll at it as, as, as hardcore super gamers. Smart. Super smart. Super smart. Um, big... big Big moves here that are making uh, outside the the game reverse to get people engaged, and I think that's what's happening, right? Like the if we're being honest, the outreach for God of War versus the outreach for LeBron James is just massively different. As yeah. much as we may look at it, all I'm asking for Sony is that if you're going to give LeBron James this opportunity to do both of these, give your own marketing internal team the ability to say, "Come on, let's let's come up with some cool God of War Ragnarok." Yes. Plates that have like the god, you know, that have the, the you know, the Kratos's alpha symbol or whatever is I can't think of Omega symbol, or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. and and have the Ragnarok uh, runes etched around it. Do something yes. right yes. And, and have it be embossed into the plate where you can rub your fingers across it and it feels that's cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that would have been cool. And then Hogwarts, dude. Give me a give me plates that have the the little gold silhouette of the of the Hogwarts castle going off the side. That would be super cool. Or give me like give me controllers of the different houses. You know, one hundred percent, right? Come on, it's right there. It's right in front of you. Yeah, so it just it feels like I've Gosh, continued to wait for them across three generations to get better, and I thought bullishly for the PS5. They're designing it with it in mind. There's no way mm-hmm. it won't be good. And here we are, two years in, and alas. And alas, I have galaxy red plates. I mean, I like them more than the white, I suppose, but damn. I I got purple. (laughs) I got purple. (laughs) All right, man. Well, that wraps out the news. Uh, I definitely want to see some bigger things coming out of theirs. Um, You think about with what's coming. It's like, what do they have opportunities for heading up? And it's hard to say. You know, we have... Spider-Man and Wolverine on the way. Wolverine could be pretty cool. It would actually be sick if they came out with side plates that had like three slashes and it was actually notched out and like you can feel it going down. That would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spider-Man's a little harder because a lot of it is like, you know, it would be kind of crazy, but would be cool is if they found a way to emboss like the spider logo in the way that it is on, you know, the, the, Mm -hmm. the, the games, Peter Parker, um, that spider logo all the way down and you can feel it raised up and it has like a texture to it. Um, it can get in really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, I may be wrong cause I didn't end up getting lucky enough to get it, but I think the kingdom hearts three, uh, PS4 pro mm-hmm. has like leather or really? something weird. I, I okay. could be wrong. Okay. 
But I would love to see them get that ballsy. Could you imagine if they were able to kind of get that carbon fiber print yeah. and have the spider logo be in that? That would be really cool. Yeah, that'd be dope. Places yeah, should get weirder for your limited editions, for the love of God. Let's do it, man. There's no reason not to. That brings us to rounding out the show with two little bitty questions. Oh, boy. First one comes from Rude Days 93, longtime listener, longtime patron. He says, Hello. So I'm on day three of no power at my house, Yikes. which sucks, but I am getting a lot of outside stuff done that's been on the to do list for a while. So have you guys ever had no power for multiple days? And what did you do to pass the time? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, Hurricane Sandy, baby. We did not have power for two and a half weeks. Um, and I honestly don't know how I passed the time. I went to work. Like, <laughs> I remember being so excited to go to work. I've Works never been electricity. so excited. <laughs> exactly. We had electricity. We had a generator. We had heat. It was dope. We get to charge our phones there. We didn't have to fight anybody for gas. It was beautiful. Um, but I don't wish that nightmare on me any longer. Or on no one. So, Rude Days, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you get your power back. And I hope you fight PSENG to make that happen. Yeah, man, I'll tell you. Um, back when the Texas, you know, when we had that crazy snow back in February yes. of 21 in Texas, and it, like, shut down the power grid, since I'm on the edge of Texas and technically in Arkansas, like I told you, we're that border city. Yeah. So Texas is right down the way. But even our part of Texas is so on the outskirts of Texas in northeast Texas um, that it's not on the main Texas power grid. So Gosh. none of us lost power, but we had tons of snow and the roads mm. were awful because we're our roads and our tires and stuff. We don't we don't keep gear for that because it didn't happen. Like, you know, we don't keep sure tons of ice or anything like that. We don't have all weather tires because it never snows here. It's like, it would be like spending extra money on your tires for no reason. You know, it's yeah. just, it's kind of like up North. I noticed that people talk about because of the salt in the air and the salt that they have mm -hmm. to do on the roads, the bottom side of cars get rusted out a lot quicker. Yes. So it's something that, you know, it, it's specific to the area. Um, but we had power the entire time. I didn't go to work for a full week uh, because, we couldn't even get there, but I had power and heat and everything. So it's been a long time since I've been out without power in any meaningful capacity. So yeah. sadly, rude days. I hate to tell you, man, I have very little guidance to offer you. Yeah. I think the You're last time well, I mate. can think of this, actually, this is a fun story for me. Um, yeah. Back in high school, ninth grade, 10th grade, uh, I modded my PSP because I was a poor boy, couldn't afford anything. Sure. And I modded my buddy's PSP. And we went to my mom's boss, who was a very rich family. They had a really nice, basically a mansion, closest mm -hmm. you're going to get around here. Crazy pool with like a little waterfall coming into it. Really nice. Storm started happening while we were there. Power was out for like four hours. Everybody just stayed there because it made the most sense to stay there. Sure. Um, we had extra batteries for our PSPs and we had our PSPs with us. And at the time I was working on game development, uh, which I don't really mess with in any, any meaningful way anymore. But part of having a modded PSP, you could create homebrew games for it. And oh, so I was trying okay. my hand at creating a Counter-Strike clone for PSP. And I was able to get multiplayer working. So I had it to where not online multiplayer, but 
ad hoc, as they used to say, yeah. if you're in the same vicinity. And so the game was unfinished, like climbable and interactable surfaces had no textures because I couldn't understand what was going on. Like I'd give them textures, but I was doing it in a program called Game Maker, which is what mm. Hotline Miami and stuff have been made in. Yep. So we're running around. There's ladders uh, that are blue because anything you could interact with was blue because it was supposed to. I think what happened is it was supposed to glow blue, like have a blue outline. And mm-hmm. I think that I just didn't understand how to make it non-opaque. <laughs> but it was really funny. So we were like running around playing hide and seek in these fairly large maps, just me and him. And I, we spent the whole four hours doing that. And it was really fun. Nice. So I guess what I'm telling you, days is to mod a PSP, Yep. Get just proficient enough in, in making games and game maker to make a, a homebrew for that of a shooter style game and then have at least one friend. I know that's hard as an adult, have at least one friend that's with you. And when the power goes out, you just have your horde of PSP batteries and you go for it, you know, or you just, go, steps. <laughs> you just go a little stir crazy and you make a game on the floor. You draw it on the wall, you know, just go a little nuts. It's okay to go a little nuts. Yeah, you gotta be careful, man. Because if you start drawing stuff on the floor, creating makeshift Ouija boards, yeah, you know no, that's I mean? where I'm going. Summon the devil. <laughs> <laughs> that's a game. <laughs> that's right. Let's get cursed. <laughs> that's the game of risk. <laughs> All right. And the last question we have here is a pretty fun one. Velvet Thunder patron mm. comes in says, "Which first party PlayStation protagonist do you think you could most easily beat in a fist fight?" If the answer is none, who would you have the best chance of running away from? I want to tell you right now, Velvet, you have severely underestimated the wealth of long dormant PlayStation IP from which I can pick and choose from. Oh, go for it. Multitude of easy answers. First and foremost, the first thing that came to my head, Spike from Ape Escape. I would throw hands with that kid any day. I'd True, he's a dumb boy. idiot. I would, yeah, he'd probably like throw a little monkey net on my head, but it wouldn't even be That's big right. enough to, I got a big head. Just wanted you to know that. Yeah, but you um, would be hitting a child. I would be hitting a child, but he's a fictional child. So I would go to fictional jail and that's not real. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. No. Actually, I, I, yeah, I think Spike's the, the best example. Cause yeah, Spike, he, first off, anything for the PS1 or even PS2 generation, the, their movement is janky. I'm not throwing slow. hands with Daxter, though. Uh, no, not Daxter. No. Actually, Daxter, I, I might throw hands with Daxter. He's an odd But I'm not throwing hands with Jack. Yeah, no, Jack's going to kick your ass. But, like, <laughs> Daxter, you, yeah, I mean, why would you? First off, he could duck out of you. Like, you, you got to reach low to hit him in the mouth. So, like, I'm really thinking Spike. Um, because, for, because I for just a, don't, I don't like how he's staring at me. You know, for a second, for a second, when I first read this question as I was putting it into the docket, I thought to myself, Parappa the Rapper. But then I stopped and I thought to myself, in that game, he's literally in a karate class with a dude in in like a you know. <laughs> no, yeah, he knows how. To, Parappa knows how to throw punch, down. kick, side to side. I'm like, no, Parappa might. You yeah. may think you can throw hands on his little 2D ass and he may fuck mm. you up. Just throwing that I'm out try, there. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find out this, but I think Spike is probably the best. Or or Zeke from uh Infamous. Zeke sucks. Oh, <laughs> hey, you know what? Hold up. Zeke has a redemption arc, okay? Uh, I love Zeke. He's a bastard who did bastard things. He's 
bastard coded bastard with bastard feeling. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But by the end of everything, I got to say, I kind of have some, I got, I got some love for my guy. He's a cool, dude. Uh, There's enough. a scene in Infamous 2 where they talk about what he did in Infamous 1 towards the end. And it's actually a really well done scene. Having recently replayed that game to grab Platinum. I, I, need, to go, I need to go back. I dude, need to go back. Go back they need to fucking port. They need to remaster those games. There's no yeah. reason not to. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Uh, so let's flip the question on its head for a second. Okay. Which one would you not want to fist fight? Kratos is going to kill me in an instant. Like we're yeah. taking our pick here. Like Fair any, point. any, any of these guys are killing me. I mean, Jin Sakai's going to cut my arm off instantly, <laughs> without fail. I mean, without fail. Aloy He'll poison me first, disgrace his grandfather. Yeah. But you know, I mean, there's uncle. But you'll be good. Aloy's going to toss me off a mountain, a cliff, even. You know, like there's just so many ways to die there. So no, yeah, I, you. I would mess you get in the PS3 him. and PS4 era, it starts to get a little rough. I mean, yeah. you, if you move back, it's like. I've got it. The little mosquito game that they put out where you fly around as like a fly or a mosquito in the yeah. bathroom. It's a PS1 well, game. Yeah, what's what's the main uh character in uh oh man, where they where they're 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 drawing all types of fancy shit on the wall. <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning. Concrete genie. <laughs> Concrete genie. Punch Jack in the face and punch all the dumb genies in the face. Punch the <laughs> bullies in the face. No one's making it out with a without a punch face. I don't know, man. I don't want to Sack spoil it for anybody, but late game, whenever you get the ability to like shoot the paintbrush out, I think it could fuck you up with that paintbrush. It just, so it depends on when. Early hours of that game, I'd be swinging on that boy. Late hours, <laughs> I might be a little worried. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Final hour, maybe I'm not going to mess with it, but other than that, I'm going to... I'm going to beat that kid up. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. No, Sackboy, though. Sackboy seems like you could punch him and he would just be cool with it. Yeah. Because, like, you ever play Little Big Planets where, like, you just control oh, yeah. the arms and you'd flick him and smack the shit out of who you're playing mm-hmm. with? That man could take a hit. Yeah. He, uh, honestly, he might be even the unstoppable force because of how much he could take. He reminds me of, like, SpongeBob, the episode where he's worried about getting <laughs> hit. And then suddenly, once he gets hit, he realizes yes. it's nothing. Yep. Hmm. Sackboy oh, is the SpongeBob Bob. of the PlayStation universe. It's confirmed. We figured confirmed. it out. Confirmed. There you go. Joe, I think we've solved a lot of a lot of questions, even ones that people didn't ask here today. Ooh-wee. I think this may be the longest podcast we've ever done. I think so. My butt but is so sore, boys. You were you That's were going said. all in on the PSVR talk, so I didn't want to t- I didn't want to cut it short. This <sighs> is my time. This was the opportunity. Yeah. I you know. made this happen, Joe. This, I appreciate This was you. a Lord of the Ring. This was. Not quite an extended cut, but we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> All right, Joe. As I always do for any guest we may have on the show, I will offer you the opportunity. If there is a community's take question you would like to post to our audience, please feel free to do so. Otherwise, I will take the reins if you would prefer. Please, you take the reins. It's 2.30 in the afternoon now. <laughs> <laughs> If we keep going, it's going to be like four years in the future. I know. I mean, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe that's time travel. We're figuring it out slowly but surely. Time is an enigma, Brett. Time it is, is an, an enigma. enigma. Guys, right. I think that what we're going to reach out and ask to you guys, and this is going to be uh, 
you know, it, it, part of it is what do you think people will actually reasonably interact with in good faith? So part of me would love to actually dig a little deeper and see what you guys think about some of the Final Fantasy controversy and other things. But that feels like putting that on Twitter and signing a death warrant for anybody. That's so right. let's say this. What would be your what is the one custom console, custom skins, custom controller, combo, Ooh. wombo that you want to see from PlayStation with any of their upcoming or legacy games that you'd like to see? Because, you know, I love that. PlayStation could easily do a retro line where it's just a bunch of PlayStation 1 themed things. And that would be really cool. And I'm sure a lot of people would be into yeah. it. So that will be the question. You guys tell us what you would like to see. Joe, once more, mm-hmm. thank you for joining me. Every time that we get together, somehow it ends up being an incredibly long thing. Uh, but I have a good time every time. So from Absolutely. the bottom of my heart, great time tonight. I Likewise. will be tired at work tomorrow and think to myself, I had a good time. It was worth it. So yeah, I'm literally I'm walking over my <laughs> to my bed and I am taking a snooze. Let me tell you. I Ooh, guarantee wee. it. All wee. right, Joe. For everyone who wants to find you, remind these people where they can get your lovely voice in their oh lovely my. ears. Yeah, you can find me. And first off, thanks for having me. Again, it's always a blast getting to record with y'all. Because we even even before the show, we had like a two-hour conversation. It was great about life and stuff. <laughs> it was great. It was. It was great. It only um, makes it worse that we're, we've gone almost four hours, but you know, I know. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> it's whatever. Uh, you can find me over at the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast made by the players for the players, where each and every Thursday, me and my best friend Kyle talk about the latest, the greatest in all things playstation you can find our show over on uh the trophy room show on youtube you can find the trophy room on whatever podcast service you have currently whether that's apple podcast spotify google play wherever you get your rss feed of choice we are there and if we're not you let me know and i will fight apple i will fight whoever is 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 making it not happen i'll fight for right you. at the doorstep right i, the I doorstep. will go to apple's doorstep tim, go, Cook, tim apple damn it <laughs> listen to here you know, yeah. but no, thank you once again for having me. This was fantastic. You can find me over also at Mr. Babbitt on Twitter, where sometimes I say funny things. And yeah, get man, you got you got to self promote. You know, you can't it can't just be the podcast. You got you got to self promo. Well, Joe, once again, thank you. If you are still listening to this and you do not know who we are, first and foremost, thank you for riding this ride with us. Uh, if you want to keep following us, consider liking the video, subscribing if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on your favorite podcast service, give us a follow. If it allows you to do a rating, give us a rating. It lets people know whether or not we are worth your time or their time. Uh, and last but certainly not least, you can find us on all of our social media, Triangle SQRD over on Twitter. Like I said, there's a Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. And and in the link below in the description, whether you're watching, listening, or what have you, you can find our Discord. One final thing to get this show finally behind us. We want to thank all of our patrons who have reached out, went to patreon.com slash nartech, gave as little as a dollar per month. Huge help. As Joe can attest, Patreon is a big reason that a lot of oh, homegrown yeah. podcasts can even happen. So we always wrap the show up by giving a big shout out to all of our patrons until the list gets too long to make that reasonable. But for now, it's not that long. So shout out to Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's a Sin to Win, a.k.a. Sean. Aztec King, Lechion 69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hamadegger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, 
Christopher, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll be back next week.